0: plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and
3: taxes and fees may vary
0: and with that Glenn Mac Eagles fans everywhere finally could enjoy their Christmas and their week of vacation at least most of it uh good morning everybody and welcome to the morning show with Glenn Mac I am Mike Sealski. Mr. Mac how's your week been hectic crazy fun uh, Merry Christmas
4: to all. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know what I want to say. It's a nice win, but it was a whew, relief win for the Eagles. Uh, I've been busy, as you know. I'm um I'm, mm-hmm. wrapped up in the play, which finished tonight. Young Frankenstein at the Players Club of Swathmore. Uh, running eighteen directions, but all good. And um, you know, I I hope everybody's had a festive week.
0: It, it has been a festive week. It's been a busy week for me too. We'll get into your busyness later in the show. We'll get into a whole bunch of other stuff with related related to the Eagles and kind of the year in review. We're going to give out some fun awards Uh, and we have a couple of great guests coming up at 11 o'clock. We're going to have my colleague from the Inquirer Jeff McClain who's been doing some terrific reporting lately on the ins and outs of a team that right now is still in a bit of flux. I think even though it's ended its three-game losing streak as we said and even though it has a an overmatched opponent coming up tomorrow in the Arizona Cardinals. And at noon, we're going to speak to NFL and Eagles insider Adam Kaplan. Uh, but I want to start, Glenn, with, as I just said, the condition of the Eagles right now. To me, this is an 11-4 and team that doesn't feel like an 11-4 and team. And I think most people feel that way. And I think most people are trying to put their finger on why it feels that way. And... You know, it's been a weird week. Uh, I was in that locker room after the Giants game, and there definitely was a little bit of of tension there. There was a little bit of, yeah, we won, but among the players, uh, AJ Brown didn't want to talk after the game, and I want to get into that a little bit because it is kind of a unique situation here, one that I think has to be handled and talked about in, in the appropriate way, uh, but. That's kind of carried over throughout the week. There is a feeling that, yeah, 11-4, and four, but. Uh, and now you have a situation tomorrow where, as I said, the Arizona Cardinals are coming in. You've got Jonathan Gannon, who is very familiar with the Eagles, with Nick Sirianni, with what the Eagles want to do on offense. Uh, this has not been a good Arizona team, but Gannon knows these guys inside and out. So it's a very kind of, Odd, unique, weird, different sort of situation. And through all of it, this team still could end up 13-4, and four, still could get the number two overall seat in the NFC, uh, and still potentially could make a run uh, to at least the NFC championship game. Are you picking up on the same sort of strange vibes that the Eagles seem to be giving off, Glenn? All right, so there's,
4: there's two components here. One is the, they're 11-14, but they don't feel like an 11-14 and team um that to me relates to the way they well they lost the three in a row but the problems that they have which is they are a very talented team that has pro bowl players throughout the offense not so much on the defense but an offense that should be pretty close to unstoppable but they have lost games or kept other teams in games because of mostly turnovers interceptions fumbles and stupid penalties which they did against the giants i mean they're they're up on the giants 20 to 3 at the end of the first half suddenly you turn around 20 to 18 i barely got back from the men's room when all <laughs> that happened so um i think that's got the fans really frustrated and that's the kind of thing that seems to keep happening week in and week out and it's like well, you know they're better than this so i think that's the first part the second part which is the uh oh is there a is there like an internal problem here is you're in the locker room more than I am and so you will have the opportunity to pick up on that more than I will certainly Jeff McClain is somebody we can talk to about that I want I am choosing to believe now that that is kind of a bit of a tempest in a teapot ooh that's an expression probably a lot of people don't know <laughs>
0: I know it. Don't worry. I can every keep once up. in a while I
4: use those things, and people are going, "What the hell?" Are you I talking can keep
0: about? up with your intellectual firepower. Yeah, there, my, well, McMahon.
4: no, my grandfather used to say that. <laughs> so I just worry that it's that, like it's really dated. Um, so I I think that may be um, kind of th- they're, they're losing games, so people are frustrated. So some people, I mean, AJ Brown is I know one you're going to mention. Devontae Smith is one you're going to mention. Um, stuff's going on. People have talked to Derek Gunn, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that stuff may be just a little bit magnified because they're not playing well. But again, I'll defer to you on how big of a problem that is. is. I'm My instinct is to say not as big as we think. But what do you think?
0: Well, I think some of it is as big as we think, and some of it isn't. I think the coaching changes uh, that we've seen over the season, for instance, obviously, Sean Desai getting – Demoted and Matt Patricia given control of the defense. Is that a problem coaching-wise? Yes, to a certain extent, of course it is. I think it's a bigger problem personnel-wise. I think, you know, both Desai and Patricia uh, are trying to make chicken salad to a certain degree out of chicken you-know-what, particularly when it comes to the linebackers in the secondary. And so the the changes there and the upheaval there are less a matter of, uh, hey, Nobody knows, you know, people in the locker room feel like Sean Desai or Matt Patricia don't know what they're doing as opposed, to, I don't think it's that. I think it's more a case of like, hey, we're doing the best we can with the tools we've been given. And that points a finger at Howie Roseman to a great degree. Yes. So what's coming out of the locker room, what has come out from Derek Gunn and, and Jeff McLean? I think some of it is just pure frustration over the fact, as you said, that the team isn't playing well. It's been sloppy week to week. I also think there's an element of outside and inside expectations playing into things here, where Hmm. if you listen to this team, if you listen to the players and the coaches, from the minute the final gun went off in Super Bowl 57 and they had lost that game to the Kansas City Chiefs, all you heard everybody say was, okay, our goal is to get back and to win it. Our goal is to get back and to win it. And so, in a weird way, anything short of, perfection is going to be judged pretty harshly on the road to getting back there. And anything that isn't a decisive victory is going to be judged as, well, this shows the Eagles' weaknesses and they're not as good as they are last year. And I don't think they are as good as they were last year, but I think it's natural to expect they wouldn't be as good as they were last year, if that makes sense. Um, And I think that kind of, in a way, leads us to what's happened, with, as I mentioned, with A.J. Brown, where... Being around A.J. the last two years and being inside that locker room, I'm a little puzzled to a certain degree by how big a deal this seems to have been, Uh, the fact that he did not talk to the media. A.J. Brown's a pretty sensitive guy. A.J. Brown is not Terrell Owens. He's not, even to a lesser degree, to Sean Jackson. He's not your customary diva wide receiver. Uh, He is universally loved in that locker room by his teammates, by his coaches, uh, but he's a sensitive guy. And he's somebody who, if you remember, Glenn, a couple of years ago, uh, admitted that he had had mental health issues that he was dealing with. And so I think a lot of what's been happening um, in the last couple of weeks with respect to that situation in particular with AJ is just a matter of here's a particularly sensitive young athlete who doesn't want to talk to the media because it puts him in a situation where he doesn't trust himself fully. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, it makes sense. And I think some of the the, the what's the word I want to look for anticipation, uh, some of the skepticism, some of what people are uh, thinking he's thinking is based on what they have seen on the sidelines a couple of yeah. times. Right. So we've seen him protest that he's not getting the ball. And so therefore the narrative gets baked in and it's like, well, if he's not talking, he's unhappy because he's not getting the ball. I don't know that in any way to be true. I think, as you said, it's just very possible that he was so frustrated with how the team is playing overall that he's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And so people read into the narrative. Um, yeah, I'm OK with it. And, and as you mentioned, we're going to talk to Jeff McClain later. And I remember Jeff wrote a story that he made reference to earlier uh, this week on a, on a tweet where he said that um, he had done um, – Jeff had done a profile on AJ and talked to his family, and his family kind of indicated things like this. Like sometimes he just – he gets quiet or he doesn't want to talk or whatever. He's sensitive, and that, that's fine. Let him be. I think if he doesn't want to talk, and as much as it's our job to try to get him to talk and say stuff, it's fine. Oh, yeah. listen. I'm okay if the Eagles are quiet as long as they don't tell the fans to be quiet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting. You How's bring... that for a segue? Very good segue. You don't have to go
4: there yet, but I just you know want well, to get that well, in at Well,
0: it's, it's interesting to bring that up because our colleague here at WIP and my colleague at the Inquirer, Marcus Hayes, had an interesting column this week in which he talked to Nick Sirianni and several players in the locker room, and they described uh, struggling on offense in part because they couldn't hear the signals amongst each other from Jalen Hurts to the team within the offensive line among the linemen because it was so loud at Lincoln Financial Field. And (laughs) the upshot of Marcus's column, the the kind of boiled down point of it was, hey, Eagles fans, be quiet so that your offense can work. I'm not sure how many fans appreciated hearing that, but it wasn't like Marcus plucked that out of thin air. He had talked to people in the locker room uh, on the record about that, Jordan Mailata, Jason Kelsey, sirianni hurts people like that so that was an interesting way to go um i don't know what you thought about that well
4: they were they were putting uh on the scoreboard messages uh quiet please men at work when the eagles were in the offense so they clearly were getting the the signal about that and listen it it arose out of fans frustrations when the offense, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. They got the ball. They had a three and out, and then they had to pick six, and then they get the ball, and they tried some low percentage pass, and the people were just fed up with it and started chanting, and "Run God the ball! This, run the ball! Run the ball!" And it it uh, it was in the third quarter when they had given away the lead, or you know, taking. Yeah, the-
0: it was also in the third quarter when the Eagles were facing, I think, a second and twenty. So it didn't make a yes. whole lot. Of- No, but it was more reflection of what they
4: didn't do on first down than what they wanted them to do on second down. And then, by the way, after that, uh, they had what they well it was second and 10. And then it was first and 10. They had a bad screen pass in which they lost yardage. And then they had a penalty. And Mm -hmm. so it's second and 20. and The fans are fed up and they're doing it. So I told you and we talked about this last week. I had the pleasure of sitting in the seats last week. Yep. Went to the game with my son and my two grandsons, 11 and 8, their first NFL game. The eight-year-old loved the fact that it wasn't just run the ball. It was run the bleeping ball that we <laughs> chanting, which he thought was just marvelous. You know, he uh, got Earmuffs, all... earmuffs. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's like, hey, you're going to hear stuff today. Live it up. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, you and I normally sit in the press box, and it's quiet. Oh, yeah. And yes. I know Marcus wrote about this. It's quiet. When you're in the seats, you do hear it. Um, I think two things. I think one – yeah, in the perfect world, the fans should be quiet and let the offense operate. And ultimately, it probably wasn't helpful to the Eagles that they were doing it. But I I was sharing their frustration at the offense and the game plan. But two, if I were the Eagles, I would be wise to say nothing about it. Mm. Let's not point fingers at the fans in any direction because the fans are great. If you think you're having a problem, to look at thine own self, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> the problem isn't the fans are causing you to take stupid penalties. The fans aren't causing you to throw interceptions. If I'm the Eagles, I may say it to another teammate in a meeting, but I am not going to say it publicly or hint it or whatever. Look, look, at, look at your own selves, fellas.
0: Well, the irony or whatever word you want to apply to this situation uh, is, is pretty delicious, the fact that this came out, because we have a situation tonight, Glenn, where if the Eagles want to get home field yeah. for certainly the wild card round and assuming uh, they win that I, game. I, I knew
4: you were going to take me here. The,
0: the divisional game.
4: Yeah, I knew you were going to do this.
0: They need the Detroit Lions, who talk about a team that actually entered the season with expectations and is meeting them. The Detroit Lions are 11-4. and four. They have clinched uh, the championship in the NFC North. And if they win their last two games – they will leapfrog the Eagles and finish with the number 2 seed in the NFC. Yeah. So if the Eagles want to avoid that, they need help. And they need help tonight starting at 8.15 p.m. Eastern time from your favorite team in mind, Glenn Macnow, the Dallas Cowboys. You rooting for the Cowboys tonight, Glenn?
4: Who do the Lions play next week? Let me just take a quick look. Uh, the Minnesota the Vikings. Vikings. in Detroit. and uh, The Vikings aren't going to win that. The Vikings are dead. Yeah. Um, uh, intellectually, look, oh, <laughs> all right, here's the deal. I, I realize that intellectually I need to root for the Cowboys to win this game. Uh, the good part is I will not be watching this game cause I'm in the play tonight. So I will not have to see the Cowboys win. I can hopefully just glance at my phone at a certain point and see that, you know, they won eight to seven, and it was really ugly, and uh, all the Cowboys got suspended for the rest of the year somehow. Um, I yeah, I mean, yeah, I have to, right? So I have to. Yeah, here, you have to. Here's yeah. the thing. The the Cowboys, fortunately, the Cowboys aren't the big deal they used to be. Nobody refers to them as America's team anymore. Nope. Uh, which is good, because I always felt this here, us, Philadelphia, this is the city where America started. They're they're. They're the, they're hell's team. They're the damn Cowboys. They're the stinking <laughs> Cowboys. They're the bleeping Cowboys. I moved here back in 1986. Well, my hatred of the Cowboys goes really does go back to my youth, and I've told people, even growing up in Buffalo, mm-hmm. I hated the Cowboys. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, my history here goes back to Buddy versus Tom Landry and the scab game and the snowballs at Jimmy Johnson and all, all of that, fourth and one twice. And we don't have to relive all that because they're not playing the Cowboys, but my intense... Sports dislike of the Cowboys is so ingrained and built in that there is no way. If I was at a TV tonight, I could go, "Yay, Cowboys! (laughs) Go Dak!" I feel your enthusiasm, Glenn. I I I, I, feel it. Yeah, there's no way I could in any way celebrate any of it. So I will, I will aggressively not see or follow any of it, and just hope. That when I take a look later, the, the Lions have
0: lost. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We've talked about this before on the show. Was that a good answer? Show. That was a great answer. There you go. Hate. gotta hate the Cowboys. I know. And I think this is more and more a generational thing because you and I remember the Cowboys of the 70s and the early 80s and then obviously the early 90s when they were dominant, when they were great, and when they were smug about it. And most younger fans, certainly fans younger than me, and I'm 48, don't look at the Cowboys in the same way because they haven't won a Super Bowl in so long and they tend to fall on their face in the playoffs and they have a blowhard owner and don't meet expectations and things of that nature. Uh, so I think it's Yeah, this eight,
4: was a whole – Jack Fritz did a whole show on this earlier this year about yeah. how the Cowboys don't matter anymore. And it's like, what are you – out of your freaking mind. Yeah,
0: I, like I said, I think it's a generational thing. Uh, Is that, it though? I, I, th- mean, I, I mean, I guess it
4: – hold on. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Okay, let's say that that's true to a degree, but I don't know. I got to go ahead.
0: I'm just, I'm just saying I something. think that the younger generation doesn't quite have the same fervid dislike or hatred of the Cowboys that people of your generation and my generation do. It's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <They> Sports <laughs> hate is good. Sports hate is it a is. good thing. It's a very it good thing. Before we hit the break, let's get John from Antioch. He wants to talk about the Eagles. Hey, John. Uh, hey, guys. Happy New Year.
5: Happy New Year, Glenn. Looking for another year of drinking, Conchhock, and brewing beer. There
4: you go. Appreciate that.
5: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a quick uh, question on uh, defensive backfield. Uh, I I like what I see out of Kelly Ringo, and when big play comes back, do you think that uh, they've... I don't think they're going to do it, but do you think they'd put him in there in the other corner uh, and and replace Bradbury? Bradbury? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think they have to think about it. Thanks, John. I think they have to consider all options at this point just because Bradbury hasn't been the James Bradbury of last season in any regard. Um, But at the same time, Glenn, I don't know about you, I'd be hesitant to put too much faith in Keely Ringo. He's been been very good, uh, but I I would be hesitant to say he's the cure for all that ails this defense.
4: A, he has been really good, and it's a pleasant surprise. And he's also young and untested. And some offensive coordinator somewhere is going to look at it and say, oh, you know what? You know this guy. We haven't seen him do this yet. Let's let's find his weakness, and they could find it. As much as Bradbury has slipped, he's got the experience, so he's going to get the nod in a playoff game. And you just hope it's not. If I may bring up a bad memory, Blaine Bishop. Oh. Against uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks in with, with his torn
0: groin, trying to keep up with Joe Giravicius. Yeah, yes. yeah, you
4: just hope it's not that in the playoffs when it's like, well, we got to go with the experienced guy. But I imagine that's what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, I would think so too. So anyway, coming up on the rest of the show, as we said, we're going to have Jeff McClain at eleven o'clock. We're going to have Adam Kaplan at noon. Uh, for what we're watching, we're going to do something a little bit different. Glenn and I got uh, participated in, and we're exposed to a lot of culture this week. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we've got some interesting year-end awards to give out. It's not just going to be best moment in Philly sports. We're going to try to expand your thinking on these things. And, of course, if you want to weigh in on the Eagles or anything else, please feel free to dial 215-592-9494. With Glenn Now I am Mike Sealski on WIP. You shoot the gap, and he's right on the back hip. There's Shaq Leonard right there, 53.
5: Yeah,
6: this is where Matt Patricia loves to sit. He's got him in third and long. In the-
0: so that sound you heard there was not the sound of Shaq Leonard collecting the only sack that the Eagles got against Tommy DeVito or uh, Tyrod Taylor last week against the Giants. Uh, Glenn, this stupid football bet of ours has uh, gotten very interesting, I feel like.
4: Um, yeah, like a car stuck in the muck. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting to watch the wheels spin in the muck there. Uh, it's still at eleven to nine. I'm in the lead with Hassan Reddick, having eleven sacks this season, and all the Georgia guys on the defense that you have, uh, combining for nine sacks. What do you think here? I mean, we're down in the home stretch, and,
4: and I think you're playing the stall. I think you're playing the four corner <laughs> stall. That's what I think.
0: Here's what. I, here's I think, what we have to work you're out. You're trying too. to run
4: out the clock, is what I think.
0: <laughs> there, there is a certain uh, truth to that. I think. I need Reddick to uh to get back after quarterbacks here. Uh you know, it's interesting we're counting only sacks of course. So if Keely Ringo, who is now everybody's favorite cornerback, manages to get an interception or recover a fumble or something like that, it does not count toward.
4: Yeah, I got that interception. I got the the uh Javon Carter touchdown the week before. I got nothing for those, but that's fine. I mean the deal's a deal, so I you know, that's the bet is sacks. Yes, you have one guy, Hassan Reddick, who started slow but then has eleven sacks. With two games to go, and I have the entire Georgia contingent, which, let's be honest, has started out really fast and then just kind of all fell on their face. Uh, Nolan Smith has been my big disappointment. I thought that the rookie would get three or four, particularly once they let Derek Barnett go. He's going to get his chance. He's going to be in the rotation. Uh, he had a player too. They actually played him a little bit at off linebacker. They did, week. yes, yeah, which, which was he's... a little strange. <clears throat> and he was okay. He was all right. Yeah, he was fine. He was. Doesn't fine. help me, but you know, he was <laughs> fine. Um, and yes, now Keeley Ringo is in there. But I don't think Matt Patricia is about to take the kid and say, like, you know, what we're going to do with you. We're going to do a blitz. It doesn't <laughs> seem like that's going to happen. So I think I need somehow Jordan Davis to resuscitate from the torpor he has been in since about week four and get me one or two and um, maybe Smith and maybe Carter and maybe I can, I can get two in the last game, we can push, go into the playoffs like we did with our bet last year mm-hmm. and somehow, somewhere, by some freak of nature, I can pull out the ultimate stupid football bet, which as Dan Wilson is listening now, all he knows is he gets dinner at Ralph's Italian restaurant, regardless.
0: Yeah, and he's going to eat ice cream, which is the worst part of this whole thing. To be very honest about this, look, Ralph's is great. The bed he is fun. Dan's company is wonderful. I think Ben Kenny's going to come with us as well. Um, but Dan, ice cream. The
2: ice cream there is great. I don't know what you want, to, what you want me to tell you. It's, it's really, really good. I've made a tradition out of it here. I'm sticking to it.
0: Oh man, it's it's the oldest Italian restaurant in America. It is a Philadelphia institution. It is a menu full of delicacies, and you're all about the ice cream at the chocolate
4: end. Chocolate and vanilla. Room. He bowl. does. He saves, he saves. room. That's yeah. okay. I save room. Hey, yeah. yeah I, I eat tons of bread. I Whatever. fill up on the you pasta, and then I get yeah. to that. Listen. If he eats tons of bread and ice cream, it's a cheaper bill for us. So yeah. It exactly, is. It is. That's not, a good not exactly going to p- complain. But but that's the pe- but the bigger point. Is they only got one sack against the New York Giants, who had one of the worst offensive lines in the league coming into the game. And that pass rush, whether it's Sean Desai or now Matt Patricia running the thing, just seems to have evaporated. And I don't know
7: why.
0: Well, uh... I'm going to take a stab at this, and I could be cynical and try to be funny and say what they're lacking... That's never your style. No. ...is a really brilliant defensive coordinator like the guy they just got rid of, who is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, (laughs) Jonathan Gannon. Oh, gosh. We're going to have that debate today? (laughs) No, we're not going to have that debate. Although, I do want to get into Gannon in this segment. But quickly, I would say, I think the difference, quite frankly, is the players. I think Javon Hargrave had a terrific season last year. I think... Brandon Graham is not quite who he was last season. I think Fletcher Cox is not quite who he was last season. I think Hassan Reddick is not quite who he was last season. That sort of aggression. And the way that the Eagles and a lot of teams build their defenses now, where they play quarters coverage and the whole Vic Fangio-influenced idea of allowing yards and letting your front four and your pass rushers just get after it, uh, is just not quite working as well this season as it did last season because – Uh, The players aren't quite what they were a season ago. I don't think it's anything more complex than that.
4: Um, You know, clearly that's a part of it, but there's a few things I would add to that. Whatever happened to Josh Sweat? So good last year, had really built himself over the years to be, I thought, a very capable pass rusher. Had 11 sacks last year, double digits for the first time. He started this year fine, and then, man, his production just evaporated and mostly what he's done over the last couple of weeks is get offside line up offside yeah. which is even worse yeah so that part i uh, is to me very distressing he's he's a guy whose production i really thought went down
0: yeah it has it has and maybe some of that is due to attention that graham and reddick and cox and the other guys were drawing last year and they're not they can focus more on sweat this season. But just from a schematic standpoint, I'm not sure how much different what the Eagles have been doing this season, even under Desai and Patricia, has been from what they did last year under Gannon, which brings us to this game tomorrow, Glenn. It's going to be... The the atmosphere there is going to be interesting because Gannon has become, for a certain degree to a you know, very good reason, a villain in this town for yeah. the way Super Bowl 57 shook out. You had... This defense that was getting after quarterbacks, that set a team record for sacks. Uh, You had a segment of the fan base that wanted him to blitz more, and that was never going to happen. And then you have the Super Bowl come around, where Andy Reid just checkmates him all over the place in the second half. And now here he is, Jonathan Gannon, going up against his old team, standing in the way, really, of them getting the number 2 seed in the NFC. Certainly standing in the way of them winning the NFC East. And maybe spoiling some things for them next season. And I think people are going to want the Eagles to stomp on the Cardinals tomorrow because of Jonathan Gannon's presence. Are you one of those people who says, I want the Eagles to crush the Cardinals to give Jonathan Gannon some comeuppance?
4: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) You said that with relish in your voice. Oh, let
4: there be no doubt. I mean, this is a Dallas Cowboys thing to me. I... I will tell you that I may not be proud of this uh, aspect of my personality, but I'm not above being petty. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I I love hating the Cowboys, and as we talked about in the first segment, it is going to be really difficult for me to root for the Cowboys to win to mo- tonight. And I, you know, I would love other people to check in on that because I think I'm not alone on that. But I also will appreciate tomorrow if Eagle fans get the opportunity to really hand it to Jonathan Gannon. Which, by the way, Nick Sirianni called for. Yes, he in, did. In, in his usual Nick, you might be saying too much kind of way. Um, he has but, that tendency. Oh gosh, he, God bless him. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know exactly how you can scream at him um, because then the Eagles fans would be screaming the entire time the Eagles' offense is on the field since he's a defensive guy. But whatever. Yeah, listen, I, I, I am not one of the people who. Said that Jonathan Gannon should be fired here last year. That was pretty much Ange, and God bless Ange. That was that was his campaign and his alone. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Gannon went to a press conference and said, "You guys all want me to get fired?" Well, like, no, they no, didn't. Th- no, they didn't. That was that was him contriving stuff. Uh, I don't like the way Jonathan Gannon took that head coaching job in Arizona. Uh, uh, I'm going to back up. My problems with Jonathan Gannon are less about his actual coaching. Over most of his years with the Eagles, than they are about, A, how he coached in the Super Bowl, B, how he acted after the Super Bowl, C, how he took the job in Arizona, and D, an interview or two he did afterward where he revealed himself to be pretty much a snake. Yeah. I, so those yeah. are my issues with
7: Gann.
0: Yeah, my mine at the top of my list is the way he handled things after the Super Bowl. Um, I've said this a couple of times on our show. I wrote it in a column within 24 hours after the end of that game. He was on a plane out to Arizona to take that job very, very quickly and did not stand up after that game and do what his players were doing, like James Bradbury, who got called for that holding penalty, uh, taking accountability for it. That really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, I had a much bigger issue with that than even I did anything he did coaching-wise, even in the Super Bowl. I mean, you can look at this a couple of different ways, Glenn. Were the Eagles good in the second half of that Super Bowl, and did they lose because their defense couldn't stop the Chiefs? Absolutely. You know who had a worse defensive performance from his unit in the Super Bowl? Jim Schwartz. Mm -hmm. With the exception of Brandon Graham knocking the ball out of Tom Brady's hand, the Eagles' defense couldn't stop the Patriots at all in that second half. You need to
4: score 41 points. Yeah,
0: and the reason they won that game – yeah, the defense was a big part of it, but it had nothing to do with their coordinator. It had everything to do with Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett combining to make one play. Let's hear from Mike and Yardley. He wants to talk about the Eagles. Hey, Mike.
8: Hey, how are you guys doing? Um, hey, Mike. Glenn, I hate the Cowboys probably at least as much as you.
0: I don't
4: think it's
8: possible. Yeah, okay, I know. it's, But, but I think I'm going to get all of my um, bad feeling out on Jonathan Gannon early so that I'll be out of my system so I can tolerate it cowboys win so i think i can i can manage that
0: but, <laughs> you're going to redirect your angst mike is that it? yeah exactly because it would be nice to see the
8: cowboys beat the, the lions um intellectually but emotionally it's really hard to well that's it adjust that's,
4: myself that's exactly which is why it's like i'm not in the position to watch tonight i got to go do a play and i'm glad i would not Can you see yourself singing at a television tonight I don't know who you normally watch with, friends, family, kids, yeah, yeah. whatever. Let's say kids. And say in front of your own child. <laughs> Yay, dad.
8: No, no.
4: Right? I find you can't do that.
8: television I would not be I would not let myself watch that with my children, grandchildren who need to hate the Cowboys as much as I do.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's so, it's yeah, it's an heirloom. It's it's a tradition, right, Mike? Absolutely. You got it. You
8: got it. Now, the, the but the reason I actually called today was because I I think I have trauma-induced amnesia from beating my head against the wall for the last month every time I would turn on the the Eagles. It's been driving me crazy, and I'm going to go to a place that I've gone before, but usually with respect to baseball, and that is the misuse of analytics. And I really think that this team, on the offensive side of the ball, is using analytics incorrectly.
0: How do you mean, Mike?
8: Well... It's clear to me that, well, analytics is, in general, this is what you should do. Yes. You know, that's what it is in general. Well, guess what? All things aren't equal. And so you have to be able to adjust, and you can't be using analytics as a dictate. You can use it as a suggestion, but you, you have to be able to be flexible, and they're not flexible enough on offense. The big problem with this team is that their defense is on the field far too long. If they're going to beat any of these Better teams, the Cowboys, the 49ers, any of them, they have to have their offense on the field for 55 to 60% of possession at a minimum.
0: Mike, Mike, I hear you, Uh, and I would say this, and thanks for the call. It's it's always good to hear from Mike from Yardley. He always brings some intelligence. And enjoy that game tonight. Yeah. uh, I I would say this, Glenn, with respect to Mike's uh, contention that the defense is on the field for too long. I'm with him. I agree. The problem is that the way to get off the field is for the players who are out on the field to make plays to get them off the field. And I don't think that the Eagles, from a personnel standpoint, are tremendously equipped to do that. I don't think it's necessarily a scheme thing. I think it's more a matter of guy breaks a tackle on third and five and gains seven yards as opposed to them saying, well, you know, we're calling the wrong plays on third down to allow our, the opposing team to gain a first down and keep the ball. So
4: I wonder if there would possibly be any way that you could keep the defense off the field by having the offense have a longer time of possession.
0: Well, do you want the offense to Hold on. To Let score, me go back though.
4: to the third quarter last week <laughs> as the fans around me were lustily saying, Run the
0: ball! <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I think, look, the Eagles are who they are. They believe what they believe. They're going to throw the ball to get ahead. They're going to run it to hold the lead. That's generally how they're going to do it. Uh, they ran the ball better last week, so they ran the ball well last week. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe we'll see a little bit more of it. Uh, I just I find it hard to believe at this stage of the game that we are going to uh, see much of a change. May, from May that. I say one thing? May yes.
4: I interject one thought? Sure. Jonathan Gannon, your boy. My boy. <laughs> your boy, Jonathan Gannon. <laughs> I you know what I used to do this I used to do this with, with Jody sometimes, which is. If I particularly disliked the guy, I would immediately throw up the the straw man that he liked the guy. (laughs) Well,
0: I'm glad I can keep the tradition going. Still annoys Jody
4: when I do But anyway, (laughs) Uh, uh, Jonathan Gannon, uh, defensive wizard, his Arizona Cardinals, you know where they rank in uh, rushing defense?
0: Where do they rank?
4: It's 30th or 31st.
0: Yeah, I think they're, they're 29th or 30th in pass defense as well. So the Eagles see that just as much as they see the Cardinals' weakness on the run defense. Anyway, we can continue to get in with, uh, into all of that. David, hang on there. We'll get your call after the break. Again, 215-592-9494. Jeff McClain coming up at 11 o'clock. Adam Kaplan at noon. What we're watching, Cooper Dock, all kinds of stuff on WIP. Glenn McNow, and Mike Seals
4: and it's time for me to talk to you about the great people at meridian Bank. so here's the story i had a chance to catch up with the uh the terrific people at meridian this week along with one of their business banking customers and over the years i've met several business owners they work with and every single time i'm just blown away at how highly these people speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. Knowing the team of people at Meridian, hey, it's no surprise that they're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas. They understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com.
0: 94 WIP, Mike Sealski and Glenn Mac now taking you through the morning. David in Willow Grove wants to weigh in on the Eagles, and I also think, Glenn, he is a kindred spirit when it comes to rooting for the Cowboys. I'm just guessing there. <laughs> David, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh,
4: thank
3: you guys for taking my call. Great show as always.
0: Thanks, sir. Um, So it
3: actually is not – I'm rooting for the Lions in this game, and the fact that it would mean that they're beating the Cowboys is – a bonus, but that's not the main reason. The primary reason is I want the Eagles to get a bye. I think that's the thing the team needs the most.
4: This entire season has been a slog. They're tired. I mean,
2: just look at Josh
4: Sweat's snaps well, compared to previous well, games. I got back in him one second. You're rooting for who yeah, tonight? Sure. I'm rooting for the Lions. Well, that doesn't help you.
0: Well, it does it if does you because- assume the 49ers are going to lose one of their last two games.
4: No, not right. even going that
3: route. I'm saying I don't care about the two seed. I care about winning the East. So then okay. I can sit my players against the Giants and I don't have the Giant. I don't have my players Giants oh, ah,
4: yeah. week. Oh, okay. I I thought you were saying you get a buy for the playoffs. I got you. Yeah, gotcha. sorry.
0: But yeah, I'm just I'm just treating it as a buy. Gotcha. Okay. okay, well, that makes a little more sense then, David. Yeah, because it, it would be... Ooh, that's interesting. It's that's interesting, yeah. I mean, it's still theoretically possible for the mm. Eagles to get the number one overall seed, but it would require the 49ers really tanking. Uh, and, Which I don't
9: expect them to do.
0: No, I don't either. I they think... Uh, the
4: Rams. Uh, they could lose to the Rams, although that may... Right? They could lose to the Rams.
0: Yeah, they absolutely could lo- lose to hot. the Rams. David, thanks for the call. Um, they could. Matthew Stafford is playing incredibly well lately and is a really good quarterback, might be the most underrated quarterback in the NFL, I think, Glenn. So I hold think. on. So if uh, – let, let's get his logic. Okay.
4: If the Cowboys lose to the Lions tonight. Yes. And the – and and, would, and so the Eagles, therefore, would be able to clinch the division by winning tomorrow. Correct. And we don't worry about one, two, three seed. We just say, like, okay, so the Eagles can next week let everybody every, – nobody plays. There you go. D- um, yeah, David
0: is saying that yeah. in, his, in his logic, it is more important and more valuable to the Eagles to be able to rest their starters right. next week against the Giants. Yeah, the Marcus
4: Mariota game.
0: Right, think. and then ha- maybe in all likelihood have to play in Detroit for the divisional round than it would be to win out, get the number two seed. Right, but have so to play be the their three
4: seeds. So you get the one game at home, and then you go on the road to Detroit. Yes,
2: and you likely get the better team in the Rams in the first round.
4: That's see, that would work. Yeah, me. see, no, those like we're saying, things, the Rams could beat yeah. the Niners. They could I, also beat the Eagles. Oh, yes, I think they, I, you yeah. know what? Fine point, Dan Wilson. No, I can't do that. I have to tonight. Root for the. K- I have to root for the. K- <laughs>
0: He's k- choking on the words, ladies and gentlemen. K- <laughs> yeah, go Dak. You're like that. um you're like the defense attorney in my cousin Vinny, right yeah. there. <laughs> that's what you sounded like.
4: They went into the what is it, the sack of suds? Sack
0: of suds, yes. Sack of, the sack yeah, of suds, that's, that's yes. Me. The, that's completely. Yeah. By the way, that character is completely inappropriate now. Oh yeah, um, just, and great. Yeah, uh, just you I would know. never see a character like hey, that. I'm a young
4: Frankenstein. You. If you want to talk about inappropriate humor, baby, it's true. It's all over the place. It is. It is true. And, G-
0: and by the way,
4: often the best humor.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, John from Redding wants to talk about Josh Sweat. Maybe he has a theory as to why Josh isn't collecting sacks like he did last season. John, what's up?
10: Hey, good morning.
0: Mike and Glenn, great show. Thank you.
10: Got a question and, and a comment. Uh, talking about Josh Sweat and his inability to get to the quarterback as, as compared to earlier in the year. I uh, wanted to get your take on this. From my lens, I, I look at him rushing the quarterback – on pass plays, and he gets himself three, four, five yards past the quarterback, which opens up a big lane between the end and the tackle, especially against the mobile quarterback. He's also caught numerous times doing a spin move to the point he's got his back to the quarterback in which a mobile quarterback will take advantage of that and get up and run outside. Uh, Wanted to get your input, uh, the two of you,
0: on that that comment yeah I think there's some truth to that John because the Eagles love to play and do play a wide nine it's what you know Jim Washburn uh, coached 10 12 years ago it's what Jeremiah Washburn teaches and coaches now they want that they want their ends they want whether it's Josh Sweat whether it's Hassan Reddick on the other side whether it's Brandon Graham to get up field like that and maybe teams are figuring out a little bit how to block it Glenn I don't know if you've looked at it that closely
4: I have not. I think it's a great observation, an interesting observation. I plan to spend a lot of time analyzing that on Sunday. Uh, My frustration with Sweat has been I just I don't really see him get off the line very much. So,
0: yeah, yeah, it's I'll keep
4: an eye out for that. Yeah, the one thing he's got to play better, man.
0: He does. The one thing I'll say about him, though, and this has come out in some conversations he's had with our next guest, Jeff McClain, is that. It's not for lack of want to. It's not for lack of trying. You know, Sweat's been kind of open uh, in the last couple of weeks about uh, how frustrated he is with his play, with the defense's play, things like that. So it's not simply a matter of, oh, okay, he's just not as good and doesn't give a damn, that sort of thing. No, no, I'm yeah. not accusing him of No, like no, no, offer. and I'm not saying you are. I'm not saying you are. Um, real quick before we hit the break, I, I want to get in – one or two of these awards that we're going to give out. You and I put our heads together and kind of came up with some interesting categories here to kind of tie a bow on 2023 in in the year in Philly sports. And you can go back to the Super Bowl loss and the National League Championship Series loss and the Sixers in Game 7 against the Celtics and all that kind of stuff. But we came up with some interesting categories, I think, to kind of recognize a few people and kind of weigh in on what happened this year. So the first of those categories, Glenn, that I wanted to get your, your candidate for was most clutch athlete in Philadelphia sports this season, and I know you have somebody in mind. All right, I'm
4: going first here? Yep. All right, I'm going to do an audio daily double (laughs) and play you a moment from just, oh, about a month ago, and here you go.
0: He
2: swings the leg with the same speed, whether it's an extra point or a 60-yarder. Let's see what he does here. Hold your breath. Ball is spotted. The kick is away, and the kick is, it's golden time! <laughs> he is amazing.
8: Oh, he boy. is amazing. He, they just do not want to go away. Jake Elliott. Oh, my
4: goodness. There is nobody in this town, nor has there been for several years, who is more money than Jake Elliott. And he's a kicker. So he's always kind of kind of be a second citizen when there's consideration for this, but there's nobody I trust more. Your thing was most clutch Philadelphia yep. athlete. Come on, man, Jake.
0: Gr- Jake is a great candidate. He would probably win in a popular vote.
4: I now retire from the competition. How
0: well, let's see here, real quick before we hit this break. My candidate uh, was, and my winner is from the Phillies, and it is Zach Wheeler. I just want to read you these stats, Glenn, from the playoffs, from just from this postseason. Forget the World Series run last year. This was Zach Wheeler in the 2023 postseason. Five games, four starts, 3-0 record, 1.95 ERA, 35 strikeouts in 27 and two-thirds innings. Came in game seven. Of the League Championship Series, which of course this gets forgotten because the Phillies lost, yeah. but through an inning and two thirds of scoreless ball, two days, three days after he had won Game Five, if you see Zach Wheeler on the mound for the Phillies in the playoffs, you got to think they're winning that night, and the record and the numbers bear that out. Uh, he would be my my winner for most clutch. Well,
4: it's great. I mean, it's a great one. I, I it, it's. You know We have to pit one against the other, and I'd and I, and I, I rather not do that because he no, is, is a great choice and, and really did well for them in the playoffs this year, did great. Um, I, I don't even know who would be third. Yeah, I don't know anyone. I, it's like, those, those to me are, are the two guys. Clearly no. nobody on the Sixers is eligible. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Flyers have not had the opportunity to be clutch yet. No, Hopefully you could those, make a case for will. Jalen
0: Hurts, uh, particularly based on his performance in the Super Bowl. I think.
4: Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he gets the bronze. Yeah. Yeah. All but right. but yeah, Wheeler and If any and- callers have any other names that we're not thinking of that'd be fine, but I, I think that I think unfortunately we cornered the market on clutch athletes
0: with those three. We we I think we have. <laughs> so we're <laughs> we're going to sprinkle these awards throughout the show. We've got, you know, the goodbye and good riddance award, we've got coach to keep an eye on and all sorts of fun stuff. But first and foremost, next segment segment we've got the guy who is plugged in on the birds like nobody else, Jeff McClain, my colleague at the Inquirer. And, of course, throughout the show, we'll be taking your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macnow and Mike Sealski on 94WIP. So we're going to get into one of the strangest controversies I've ever encountered in my 20-plus years of covering and being around the Eagles, and that's uh, what's been transpiring over the last few days related to A.J. Brown. It's very interesting, Glenn, and and we'll get into that with uh, a gentleman who is old school when it comes to covering the Eagles in the best possible way. Uh, just the right amount of cynicism and experience and skepticism and tenacity and all that kind of stuff. My colleague and friend from the Philadelphia Inquirer Jeff McLean. Jeff, thank you for joining us, and Merry belated Christmas.
9: Yes. Happy holidays to you, Mike, you, and Glenn, and uh, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on with us. I want to start here because you have a story out today, and we're going to get to A.J. in a second, but you have a story out today which reports for the first time that before Sean Desai was demoted as the Eagles defensive coordinator, he had already been stripped of some of his power a couple of weeks earlier. Can you kind of explain to everybody what you found out and what it means?
9: Yeah, so um, it started at the bye. uh, Nick Sirianni does the self-scouting of the team, and he had decided at that point, looking at the third-down defense, that something needed to change. He felt there needed to be more collaboration uh, and that Sean Desai needed to kind of open up uh, himself to some of the other viewpoints on the defensive side of the ball, including, of course, Matt Patricia. Uh, that didn't necessarily take place over the next three games. Now, of course, they were walking into a gauntlet of games, as we know, against, I think, if you look at the Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, and Cowboys, those are four of the top five uh, offenses on third down. So I I guess he probably looked at that ahead and thought that things needed to be improved. Um, Obviously, things weren't improved. Third down was a disaster at that point, uh, especially after the 49ers game. That's when he decided to make the, you know, the full move and basically hand authority to Matt Patricia. And there was another two systems that basically were the ones who were involved in the game planning involving third down. Right? There's a process you, you kind of divvy up duties when it comes to third down, red zone, uh, short yardage, et cetera. Um, so this is something that typically happens during the bye week or, or over the course of the season where you kind of tinker with who's handling what if things aren't working. But to, to actually take it away from Sean Desai completely before the Cowboys game is very very rare for a defensive coordinator. And that was the case. He was still calling the plays in the game, but clearly it didn't work again. I don't know if it had to do with the fact that you know you' you're asking a defensive coordinator to really defensive coordinator to call plays that necessarily aren't really the way he would scheme things up. Uh, and then after that game, of course, as we know, he was demoted uh, and lost uh, full authority over the defense.
4: He pushed back, according to your story. Um, yes. How did he push and back? One, how did that go over?
9: Yeah. So there's one specific game, and the first game was the Chiefs game, and and they didn't go. It didn't go so well. The process in the first half, the Chiefs had completed six of eight third downs and jumped out to a 17 to seven lead, and then he made kind of adjustments based upon how you know his scheme, uh, the Vic Fangio way of doing things, his mentor, uh, the really one of the primary reasons why they hired Sean was when, you know, they wanted to get Vic Fangio. I think, I don't know if we have to rehash how that, how that didn't happen because of the whole Jonathan Gannon drama. And then when they didn't get the Georgia defensive coordinator, uh, Vic Fangio, you know, they went to Vic and Vic's like, Hey, if you you can't get me the next best guy is is my protege, Sean DeSai. Anyway, um, at halftime, uh, Sean made adjustments based upon the, that scheme and his way of doing things, and, and it worked for the most part. Obviously, they shut out Patrick Mahomes. The Eagles were able to rally. Um, that being said, you know, it didn't work. The next week against the Bills, 13 of 22 on third down and against the 49ers, 8 of 11 on third down.
0: Jeff, it's, it's very easy, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but to frame the Eagles' struggles on defense as a product of whatever Sean Desai or Matt Patricia – was or wasn't doing or is or isn't doing. How mm-hmm. much of this, in your view, just comes down to the personnel, particularly linebackers and the defensive secondary?
9: Yeah, I mean, you have to throw all that into the mix, right? And, and you know, if you're looking at Sean objectively and standing back and, and bringing into it the greater context of how he perform, I mean, I don't think any of us at Dubai thought that the defense was the bigger problem, right? Um, Nick did. Uh, maybe he saw something, and we, obviously during that that four-game stretch, the defense wasn't good. Um, but I think he has to also take into account the personnel, and and I'm I'm wondering if that's something that's happening here because you lose Javon Hargrave up in the middle, that's been a huge loss. Because and then you're you're asking these two young guys, John Carter and and Jordan Davis, to step in and kind of fill that role. And, and you know maybe the first half of the season they were able to, but over these last uh, six or seven games they have not. Uh, and then of course in the back seven. You lose T.J. Edwards, Kaiser White, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Epps. I mean, you're replacing the entire uh, middle back of that secondary. And then you bring back James Bradbury and Darius Slay. Um, You know, not the worst moves. Those guys both made the Pro Bowl last year and played at a high level. But, of course, you have to factor in their age and um, all that. Um, And... Yeah, this you know, well, of course, mentioned injuries as well. There were a lot mm-hmm. of injuries in the secondary. They, they The first eight games, Sean Desai had to start eight different secondaries. Uh, linebacker, we've seen a, a lot of shuffling going on at that position as well. So there's a lot of um, variables at play here when you're looking at the defense as a whole.
4: Can you say with metaphysical certitude that Sean Desai is out of the organization at the end of the year? And is there is it more than likely that Matt Patricia remains the defensive coordinator?
9: A fair question. Um, I guess with Matt, it's kind of this is kind of a trial period. I'd assume. Let's see how how well he does. Um, but I think it's almost certain that Sean DeSai will not be back.
4: What, what do ta- you think of? Go what, ahead, what do you think of how Patricia did last week?
9: Um, pretty good. Uh, for you know, the Giants have a horrible offense. Uh, the first half, uh, they did a very good job against Tommy DeVito. Uh, second half, not as good. But you know, there were kind of a flu- couple of fluky moments in there, and they were kind of you know the, the one obviously turnover on special teams and they were backed up. That was, that was more in the special teams in the defense. Um, but this was like historically one of the worst uh, pass protection offensive lines in, in, in the NFL. And, you know, obviously you factor the quarterback into the amount of sacks that were given up and, you know, they couldn't, you know, getting a pressure. Um, and, and it came down to the last play. Um, they only had one sack against the the worst uh, team in terms of sacks allowed per pass attempt. Uh, and that's been an issue with the, with this defense. It started, certainly, uh, during that four-game gauntlet, but those are four of the better offensive lines in the NFL. And we've seen over the last two weeks only three sacks against teams that that don't do a great job of protecting the quarterback. So, you know, like I, I think, you know, Matt, right now, obviously things have gotten a little tighter, but you have to factor in the quality of the opponents that they faced uh, when you're assessing him versus Sean Desai. Sure.
0: We're talking to Jeff McLean. He's been covering the Eagles for more than a decade for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Jeff, I was here to cover Terrell Owens. I covered Deshaun Jackson. I've seen Eagles wide receivers create issues for a team. I am puzzled by the outcry, or relatively speaking, the outcry over A.J. Brown this week. A.J., in the two years I've been around him, has always struck me as kind of a sensitive kind of guy who— As wide receivers go, is pretty easy to deal with, puts the team first, seems to be well-regarded among his teammates, and yet his decision not to speak to the media after that game against the Giants seems to have led to kind of a social media-confined kerfuffle here. What is your perspective on what is going on with A.J. Brown? Because I think it's kind of puzzling.
9: Yeah, I mean, like, this is a difficult topic for me to discuss because I feel like, oh, okay, if I'm talking about it, I'm giving it life, right? And if I don't talk about it, I'm ignoring the elephant in the room. Uh, And and even when I've, like, I've tried to kind of, like, put AJ not talking in the context, I went down to Starkville, Mississippi this past summer. Uh, I, you know, AJ invited me down to come to his camps to talk with his family. The first time that story has ever really been done here in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm not saying he did it because of me. Well, whatever it is, we had developed a relationship where I think he felt comfortable with me, with me going down there. And I, I just kind of said, you know, be careful when you're judging AJ based upon like maybe his, re- his emotional reactions on the sideline or the fact he has to talk to the media and, 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 you know, link to my story because his sister talks about how, you know, with AJ, like we're not really sure what he's thinking. He may, it may seem like it's one thing, but it's really another thing. And this is someone obviously who's had mental health issues before and has addressed it and, 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 and you know, um, I think the fact that he's been so outward about it, open about it, is to be applauded. Um, but you know, like I tweeted out and I got like I looked at some of the mentions and I got attacked. People thought I was like trying to um, harm him, or I, I it would know that was the direct opposite of what I was trying to do. Or I I explained how he didn't want to talk to you know declined to talk to media on Wednesday. Um, I found out that the reason why he didn't talk after the game was because. You know, he was upset with the way the offense performed, just like Devontae Smith did. And Devonte voiced it, and A.J. had heard some of that and felt like, okay, it was enough um, of one person uh, expressing that kind of frustration. I don't need to do it as well. And I think with A.J., and, and I've talked to him about this before, and I've talked about it for stories from our podcast. Um, I've done a story on social media, the a story on Brian Johnson, uh, and, and just got to talk to him on the side about the offense, and, you know, how remember, there's the Derek Gunn report. and mm-hmm. He kind of – there were people on social media that were saying it was AJ talked to him, AJ, who's never really met Derek Gunn, so no. clearly it wasn't <laughs> him. Yeah. And he felt compelled to speak out of it because I feel like, you know, he felt like he was being characterized a certain way. And, you know, it's there's a lot going on here, you know, and, and I think with, like, AJ, he, he said this offseason he got off social media, but clearly he hasn't, and I think it's tough. It's tough for these guys. I mean, they are getting – there's immense pressure – uh, that they put on themselves. or immense pressure in this city. Um, they're young. The, social media is a part of their lives. So they see all that and everything is filtered through this kind of distorted lens of, you know, um, clickbait uh, social media sites that take. I mean, I'm dealing with it myself. You know, they'll, they'll take something that I reported and don't read the story or listen to the podcast and frame it in the right context. And this stuff, you don't say Jeff, you don't say it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrible. And we're trying our best to like convey it in, in a respectful way when we are writing these stories. And it's just, it's frustrating and, I'm, and it's frustrating for, for me. And I can't imagine how frustrating it is for these players.
4: Okay. And, and I, and I appreciate that. And yes, I mean, social media can be that big evil uh, with all of that stuff beyond that. Beyond A.J. Brown, just looking at where the Eagles are this year, what has happened, comments that have come out, including the Derek Gunn stuff, the way uh, the coach has kind of uh, conducted himself. Is there any there there? Is there anything right now where we've been down this road before and a guy who was a coach who we thought like, oh, he's going to be here for years, hey, it fell. it can fall apart quickly. Is there any sense of any of that happening or – we're all good.
9: You know, I think this is like a team that's coming um, to terms with maybe,
4: you know, ha- what it
9: really is. And, and based upon obviously the high bar of expectations that was set last year. And I think that it's been a struggle for them um, to come to those terms. And that's what you're seeing. You know, I reported, you know, someone in the building and I might've heard from a lot of people, you know, the most miserable at the time, 10 and one team. And, you and um, I think that that was absolutely fair because you can sense that, you know, obviously like AJ Brown not talking. These are d- examples of how it's kind of filtered down to them. Now, all that being said, and uh, you know, um, I, I think some of the pressure self applied, and I think a lot of it comes from playing in Philadelphia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not pointing the finger at fans, et cetera, but you know, when you're getting booed and you're and you're t- ten and four for not running the ball, I mean that those guys hear those boos, you know. I, you know, I'm not saying fans shouldn't boo, but, like, if you're getting booed and, and you're 10-1 you go to win the game, I mean, what's your reaction going to be? Um, so, yeah, yes, uh, but in terms of Nick and the gr- bigger picture, I mean, this happens all the time in the NFL with good teams. I'm not saying they're that type of team where every year they're going to be in the playoffs, but they have been in the playoffs every year under Nick Sirianni. They're getting back to this year. And even if they don't get past the first round or don't get past the second round or don't get past – the NFC Championship, let's assume they get that far. Um, it doesn't mean that Nick Sirianni is a good head, isn't a good head coach or that John Hurts isn't, when you step back and look at his career, that he isn't a good quarterback. You know, this could just be just minor blips in the road. Uh, and, and I say minor because, again, they're going back to the playoffs.
7: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Okay. So your answer, your answer is uh, there's no, hey, this season could fall apart and, and everything could change.
9: It's offseason. I mean, look, again, I think obviously there's going to be change of defensive coordinator this offseason. Let's say they get knocked down the first round or something like that and the offense continues to perform um, the way it has been. Maybe there's something that's done at the offensive coordinator position or uh, shuffling of chairs, et cetera. Uh, But, no, Nick Sirianni, to me, uh, is absolutely 100% safe. Um, Never say never, but, uh, you know. (laughs) Uh, We saw what happened with Doug Peterson, but that was a three games, three, uh, no, I'm sorry, four season slide after 2017, Mm -hmm. 18, 19, I'm sorry, three season slide. Um, And look, you know, Nick, you know, I've done this for a while. Um, The leaders are still with Nick. um, From what I gather, uh, talking to other people, the coaching staff, um, you know, so there's a lot, obviously that factors into it. Uh, You have to, take into account the temperature with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. I mean, they basically run the show, right? Yeah. Um, and the, we've seen that dynamic and how it's played out and certainly how it played out with uh, Chip Kelly and then how it played out with Doug Peterson. Um, but I think they, I think Jeffrey has shown before that he can be a very patient coach, a patient owner with coaches that have been successful, and, and Nick Sirianni clearly has been.
0: Jeff McClain. From the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you so much, as usual, for your coverage, for your insights, for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and I will. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow afternoon in the press box.
4: Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, right. guys.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks, Jeff. He's uh, he's the best. You know, nobody's more plugged in, and nobody, Glenn, and this is an increasingly rare thing. I think in today's media environment, is kind of willing to. Say what's actually happening, as opposed to dressing it up or holding something back because people don't want to hear it. I uh, I really admire Jeff in the way he. He is team.
4: old school and covers it like it's a news beat, as opposed to being a fan. And by the way, I think we mentioned it once, but we should mention it again the podcast that he puts together. Covering Unco- the birds.
0: Uncovering the birds. Yes.
4: Uncovering the birds. That's not right. Not covering, Birds. uncovering the birds that he does in conjunction with the Inquirer and, and in conjunction with Odyssey here is, is a must-listen. It's just great.
0: It is. Uh, Brian from Marlton, we're going to get you in real quick here. You're rooting for the Cowboys, yes or no?
11: Yes, I am. Matter of fact, I, uh, I honestly think, I hope that Detroit beats them by 30 points. I hope Dak throws three interceptions. Wait, and shows wait. so you're, what you're rooting thought, for the on.
0: Cowboys, but not rooting for the Cowboys?
11: No, I'm not rooting for the oh, Cowboys. you're not? Okay. I'm, I'm, no, 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 no. I hope after this game, yeah, I hope after this game, Jerry Jones is found in his suite in a fetal position sucking his thumb. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but, but, Brian, while my sympathies are with you entirely on this, and the image that you just show, uh, put out there was delightful, it is in the Eagles' interest for the Cowboys to win. Glenn,
11: do you there's a there's a do you remember uh, Moneyball?
4: Sure, yeah. Billy Bean
11: money. says he he says I hate losing. I hate losing more than I like winning. There's a difference. Yeah, I hate when Dallas wins. Yeah. I hate them when they win more than I like them when they lose, and there's a difference.
7: Wow. Now, but with,
11: here's the question. Of,
4: but, but I'm going to change your your, your you hate when Dallas wins more than you love when the Eagles have an easier road to the Super Bowl. That's what you're so, saying. That's what I, you're saying. That is. That
11: is. And, and listen, if, if the score tonight says Dallas wins by three, yes. I can live with that, too.
4: Okay.
7: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I'm with you. I, Bryce, I, I so get
4: thanks. it. It is – my, my heart is with him, which is why intellectually – saying that, yes, we have to root for the Cowboys to win is so, so hard to do because the the Cowboys are going to win – and they're going to go up to the box. He mentioned Jimmy Jones. You can see Jimmy Jones strutting around. You know yeah. that thing, yeah, yeah. Right? Is he still? Is Chris Christie still allowed in the box? Says, I
0: don't know. I, don't, I think Chris Christie has to top out uh, at more than ten percent in the latest New Hampshire polls oh, before okay. he's allowed oh, back in the. I uh, don't know if he's. He was be at the to... Eagles game, right? Yeah, he was in that box when the whole thing went down with George Norcross and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, it was oh, fun yeah. times. It's <laughs> fun right. times at that Eagles Cowboys right. game in Philly earlier That's this year. Right. Oh, it was great. Was but anyway,
4: but but just back to what he's saying. It's like I so get it. It is just antithetical, impossible to root for the Cowboys, and yet tonight we
0: must. Sports is not fair. You know, here is the thing, though. Glenn David from Willow Grove made a great point. Maybe if the Cowboys win and the Eagles beat the Cardinals tomorrow, and they can rest their starters against the Giants, maybe that's no. The if fair. the Cowboys
4: lose and the Eagles, excuse beat me, sports. yes, yeah, if yeah, the Cowboys yeah. lose, yeah, 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 but that then it's the three seed. I'd rather, I'd rather have the two seed or even a shot at the one seed. And Hurts and Swift and all those guys got to play next week than have the three seed and have to play probably, as Dan Wilson points out, uh, first playoff game against the Rams and then go on the road. Mm. Yeah, fair point. Uh, I'll, I'll take the easier road, painful as that may be.
0: Fair point. Well, if anyone wants to weigh in on that discussion, we would be more than happy to take your calls at 215-592-9494. He's Glenn Macknow. I'm Mike Sealski. We're coming back with what we're watching on 94 WIP. And what we're watching is sponsored by who, Glenn? You have the read. Guided door and window. That's it. That's the read. Time. That's it. That's all. Last one of the year. 1 800 I- GO
4: G U I D A. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, sorry for that awkward beginning there, folks. So, Glenn, I took the week and tried to immerse myself in, I guess you'd say, higher culture, right? You and I spend a lot of time thinking about sports and talking about sports and even writing about sports, and I had a couple of days where I was able to go to the theater,
4: as it were. I like the way you pronounce that. Yes.
0: Well, on Tuesday afternoon, I took a train up to New York City with my wife and our two sons and my mother and father-in-law, we had a lovely dinner in New York. And stayed the night. And then on Wednesday afternoon, went to the Richard Rogers Theater yeah. to see uh, Hamilton. First yeah. time? Uh, it was the first time that I had seen it live. Yeah. It was my wife and my mother-in-law's second time seeing it live. And it was wonderful. It was not the original cast. It was not Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, as Alexander Hamilton. It wasn't Leslie Odom and and... The, the cast that kind of made it this yeah. cultural phenomenon. Sure. But it was still remarkable. The theater was packed. It was an amazing show. I look to my right, and my wife is a puddle because she's crying because she's so emotional. <laughs> I look yeah. to my left, and my mother-in-law is a puddle because she's crying so because yeah. she, she's so emotional. And to be honest, my two sons, who are 12 and 9, were really into it. They love the music. They love the tie into American history and the founding fathers and all of that. So four stars out of four on... My first theater experience of the week, Wednesday afternoon, seeing Hamilton. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, we, um, we
4: won the lottery.
0: Oh, so you know, right.
4: So you know they have the lottery. This, listen, this is good advice for everybody. I'm imagining you paid for tickets and paid a lot for tickets.
0: We did. We, we, yeah. we used it as kind of our Christmas gift yeah. to everybody this year. Yeah,
4: but, you know, which is great. And it's, it's really expensive, which doesn't make it not worth it because it is great. But they have an app that you put on your phone that's called Hamilton Lottery. And you can sign up for various cities that it's in. And then they give away a certain number of seats per night just to people in the lottery. Uh, You have to kind of, like, enter every day. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm driving in the car, and I win. And we got to go to Hamilton. It was Halloween night uh, two or three years ago and saw it in New York at the Richard Rogers Theater. And it is amazing. And I've since seen the the production they made of it that they put on, I think it was Apple TV or or Disney TV. I forget. Um, but that was also great. And it is one of the all-time great shows and worth seeing. Uh, my advice for everybody, and I don't know if you did this with your kids, is listen to the soundtrack like a thousand times before you go because it's just so damn fast that if you don't know what you're following, it's a little tough.
0: Oh, my wife plays it in the car all the time. So yeah. our sons were well acquainted with the music <laughs> and pointed that out before they saw it live. So That's yeah, great. So yeah. go
4: see it. but But, yeah, everybody – Because the lottery is just – got to get up to New York. When they had it in Philly, they had the lottery here. But get the Hamilton Lottery app on your phone and give it a shot.
0: So that was only my first foray into the arts this week. Yes.
4: You mentioned highbrow. I'm curious how this one (laughs) came
0: So on Thursday night, my wife Kate and I and two other couples who were close friends with uh, went to the Players Club of Swarthmore, the lovely theater there near the campus of Swarthmore College, and after having dinner and drinks beforehand, we saw this production of a Mel Brooks movie that a few people might be familiar with. We saw Young Frankenstein starring my partner, Glenn Macnow. How about starring? <laughs> co-starring. And I can say, even if Glenn were not my radio partner, even if he were not on the other end of this line waiting to text me terrible things, if I didn't give him praise <laughs> as in his performance as The Blind Hermit. Glenn, it was wonderful. It was really great. The The production itself, the sets were terrific. Uh, the, the performances, it is a musical, and the singing was great. I want to shout out two performances that I thought were really, really outstanding. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, Amanda Atkinson as, oh, what a voice. as Elizabeth, uh, the Madeleine Kahn character from the movie, if you've seen the movie Young Frankenstein, was just wonderful. Uh, with her singing ability, she, I think she's a recent Villanova grad. So she is. Uh, shout out to to the Wildcats for producing Amanda. She's really talented. And Donna Doherty, Doherty, Darty, excuse me, as yep. Frau Blucher, and there's the, <laughs> yeah, you need the, the horse sound, the horse weighing, was just wonderful. Talking about owning a role and making it her own—that is a really difficult part to play because if you've seen the movie and love the movie. Everyone remembers Chloris Leachman as Frau Blucher. It's so memorable. But, but Donna do was just, yeah, she was just outstanding. And Glenn, yeah. I have to say, in, this, in the scenes you were in, I know you and I have talked about you taking the singing lessons and, and preparing for this part, but you knocked your musical number out of the park. My wife, Kate, leaned over to me and said, he can really sing! Like, yes, he absolutely can. It was, it was great.
4: Well, listen, that's really kind of you. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I, I sing. It's really funny. I mean, it's a musical, and the music, is, as Mike said, is good, and the dancing is – these kids can really dance. I mean, the, the people in this cast can really dance. Um, I can sing a little bit, but mostly it's just really funny. And because you, you gave it such an enthusiastic plug, I will tell people that there's two more performances – Today, I am, like, leaving from here to mm-hmm. drive to the theater. There's a 2 o'clock show today. I'm looking. There are some tickets available. There's an 8 p.m. show tonight, our final performance. Just drive out to the theater on Fairview Drive, right, as Mike said, right near the college, or go to PCSTheater.org, and you can get tickets. But it is it is over Today. After which, Mike, tomorrow I go to the Eagles game, and then I'm going to take like a four-day nap. I do not blame you. you I, I, It's hard for me to keep up with these kids and all that running around on stage. I'll tell you one thing that happened the other night. So, thir- the night you were there, Thursday night. I think I know what you're going
0: to say. Go ahead.
4: Oh, I don't think you do. All right. Uh, it was a really fun performance. Um, it was really nice for me because my, my sister from California had come to see it, and My wife was there and my sons and their spouses and my two grandsons were there. So at the end, I got all excited. They do the curtain calls. Do you know what I'm going to say? No, I don't. Okay. When they did the curtain call, I got so enthused doing a bow that I pulled my hamstring. Oh, my God. Bowing. (laughs) The The dumbest injury anybody could ever have. So I'm I'm playing hurt.
0: Oh no, that's not good. That's not good. So the Hermits limping around. Uh, Glenn is probable for his afternoon performance. Yeah. And the
2: award for the gutsy performance of 2023 goes to <laughs>
0: There you go. Absolutely. I thought you were going to say that uh and I noticed this when you were on the when you were on the stage uh, playing the blind hermit. There's the one part of your scene where you light a cigar. Yeah, and you it looked like you dropped the cigar.
4: Oh, I did. Yeah, that was that. Was, uh, you noticed that? Didn't
0: yeah. You? Well, I mean, yeah. you know, it didn't affect anything. Yeah. A little bit just, of a gaff. Yeah, yeah,
7: it happens. It happens. Yeah. It, yeah,
0: it didn't did. affect anything at all in terms of quality of the performance. Uh, one more quick shout out, which speaks to kind of the reach of uh, the play and your ability to get people there. Ran into two. Uh, terrific members of the Philadelphia sports community that night. The first was Joe Lenardi. He was in the audience. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, the, nice of him to come. Longtime color analyst for St. Joe's basketball, and of course, the king of March Madness uh, and being able to prognosticate who's going to get into the men's tournament and all that stuff. So it was great to see Joe. And also, Tim Sorber, the longtime former uh, head coach, uh, head football coach at Abington High School, was there. And he actually won uh, tickets in the contest on this show. Oh, how um, about that? Yeah, so uh, so it was great to see those two guys well, in the nice. audience as well.
4: well. I appreciate that. I didn't know Joe Lennardi. Yeah, yeah. A great guy.
0: Really cool. Um, and the last. Well, com- thank you. Sure. And the last component here for what we're watching is a piece of news that I know piqued your interest, Glenn. The yeah. for the first time in a long time, the NFL went head to head, wanted to go head to head with the NBA on Christmas Day. Uh, in terms of viewing, viewing audience and commanding audience share. And the results were kind of striking.
4: It's amazing. And we know that the NFL owns the world. But they put those three games on Christmas Day again. And the NBA has always done really well on Christmas Day. So here's what you got. Eagles Giants had 29 million viewers on Fox. Niners Ravens had 27 million on ESPN. Raiders Chiefs had also 29 million Most-watched Christmas Day regular season game ever on CBS. By contrast, the NBA, which has always done well, the highest number of viewers they had for any of them was the – I mean, Lakers versus Celtics. What's Mm -hmm. more marquee than that? And that was on both ESPN and ABC. That drew 5 million viewers. Yep. Meaning it drew like a sixth of what the NFL did. Heat at Sixers, ESPN – 1.3 million viewers. This is trouble for the NBA because now that the NFL has done this, and by the way, I read a piece that the NFL specifically tried to put attractive games on. Eagles-Giants turned out not to be, but when they made the schedule, they were hoping it would be. Mm -hmm. The NFL can now just claim that day, too. The NFL took over Thanksgiving. Uh, The NFL has taken over Saturdays after college season is over. And now Fridays. And I think Christmas is next Wednesday. It's on a Wednesday, is on Wednesday next year. I'm so, telling I'm, They can't on a Wednesday. Glenn, will I would they? bet
0: my life they are wow. going to test drive a Wednesday Christmas Day game. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my the point teams... is that they're going to now own Christmas like everything else.
2: Yeah, if the team's playing like Saturday beforehand, Like they'll find a way to make it work.
0: They, they, yeah, they Thursday a to, to a Wednesday. Yeah, yep, they will find a way to make it work. And what makes this even more striking, as you pointed out, Glenn, Is that it's not like the NBA didn't stack its schedule on Christmas Day. Here were the five games: Bucks-Knicks, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, Giannis against the biggest market team out there, Warriors-Nuggets, which is Steph Curry, you know, the last two NBA champions, uh, and, you know, Jokic and all that, Celtics-Lakers, Sixers-Heat, Mavericks-Suns, which is Luka Doncic against Kevin Durant. Yeah. And still the NFL blew them out of the water. I mean, I wonder if it's starting. You have to start so, looking at the NBA as like a niche sport. Well,
4: here's the thing: if you add all the, you add the number of viewers of all five of those NBA games, right? I'm doing it real fast. Six point six. Let me Thirteen point three million viewers total for yep. those five games. That is less than half of the lowest ranked
0: NFL game. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how much the NFL league, owns the world, man. It does. It does. Uh, Jack from Santa Barbara. Always good to hear from you. We can get you in here before the break. What's going on, Jack? All right. Happy, happy new year, guys. You Thanks. as well. Uh,
10: Mike, you have done an incredible job filling Ray's shoes. Um, really. Thank like, you. Just beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate um,
0: that.
10: Yeah. Uh, you guys just sound great together. Glenn, um I have a suggestion for you for the beer company before we hang up. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I hate the Cowboys just like you do. And this game tonight is like a complete paradox. I don't don't know how I'm going to feel watching this game. I think a lot
0: of people feel the same way you do, Jack. uh, It's your brain versus your heart.
10: Yeah. And, I mean, both of them can pick and choose who they play. That's built into the game as well. Yeah. And I have – I have the ultimate respect for Baldy. He came on WIP this week and he said "Uh, the Eagles aren't going to beat the Rams anywhere, whether it's home or in California or on Pass Avenue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He might be right. And, Jack, we we got to hit a break. Thank you so much for the call and for the kind words. You know, I think that's something to take into consideration here, Glenn, if you're the Eagles. Obviously, they're not going to do it. They're going to try to win, I would think. But, man, I wouldn't want to see the Rams right now with the way Matthew Stafford is playing. No, I think Baldy's right. I yeah, think Baldy's it's, right.
4: It's, I, you know, the NFL is so week-to-week week that the team that looks great now doesn't look great then. And a team that gets hot going into the playoffs can win in the playoffs. I mean, the one i always remembers the Giants winning the Super Bowl when they got in at 9-7. and seven. Yeah, I can't worry about that yet. No. I just want the highest seed I can get and try to play as many home games as I can.
0: Totally understandable. and. Nick from Collegeville, Warren from Gwynedd Valley, hang in there. We will get to you. We're coming up with uh, our Cooper Docs segment. We've got Adam Kaplan at noon. And if we, we of course, excuse me, are taking your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn Macknow, Mike Sealski on WIP. 94 WIP, Mike Sealski and Glenn now, and we are upon our final Cooper Bone and Joint Segment of 2023, joining us as he does every other week, Dr. Mark Pollard. Doctor, how are you? How are your holidays? Very well, thank you. Very good. I hope yours were wonderful as well. Ours have been wonderful. At least mine have been. I I don't want to speak for Glenn. No complaints. Okay. He's he's, he's pretty run down from this play and the radio and all kinds of stuff. So, Dr. Pollard, uh, Joel Embiid of the Sixers has missed three consecutive games with a sprained ankle. And there isn't much out there about the nature of the sprain. We don't know if it's a high ankle sprain. We just know that Joel Embiid is 7 feet tall at least, and at least, you know, 285 to 350 pounds, I would guess. So what are the potential, I guess you'd say, damage uh, problems with this sort of thing uh, with a sprained ankle for someone of Embiid's size?
3: Well, you know, as we've we've talked about, you know, multiple times, you know, sprained ankle is kind of a generic term that could represent, you know, any number of different kind of injuries, and the severity can be just, you know, a real minor thing that can just be a, a few days to a few weeks versus, you know, some kind of, you know, your catastrophic thing that needs surgery, and, you know, from the sounds of things, this doesn't fall into that second category of some kind of catastrophic thing, but, you know, certainly he has missed some time and so i think you know normally it would have come out if this was the the so-called high ankle sprain that uh, tends to take a little bit more time and tends to you know injure the ligaments a little bit more severely and needs you're uh, more time to recover
4: this question just following up on what mike asked and i mean it probably seems self-evident but if joel Embiid is six foot two 190 pounds versus seven foot two 320 pounds Uh, I'm presuming it's it it takes a lot longer for a big man to be able to put the pressure and weight on it
3: yeah as as would stand to reason you know the more the bigger you are the more force you're going to put on the uh, the ankle and you know ankle sprain means the ligaments have been stretched uh, you know versus torn in the very severe sprains Uh, and so yeah there's going to be more force on there it's probably going to take a little bit more time and bigger people have bigger ligaments and stronger ligaments so um, you know, there's that kind of to factor in as well.
0: Last one for me, Doctor Embiid. Obviously, and everyone who has followed the Sixers for the last ten years knows this has a long history of having to deal with various kinds of injuries. He's had back surgery, he's had foot surgery, all of these sorts of things. Does that factor? Does that history factor in here at all, or is an ankle sprain something that is just self-contained? Or do you, as a doctor, take into consideration? that long a history of a patient's uh injuries and things like that.
3: Um you know, hopefully from the sound of things you know, this is totally unrelated any any one of us can end up with an ankle sprain if we step wrong and or you know roll our ankles and so forth. However, it does seem that he has a history of having injuries, however they they don't seem necessarily to be related. Uh, when he started out he had the some kind of a stress fracture in his foot I think that Kept him out for two seasons. Um, And then, you know, he has had a couple of orbital fractures, which clearly aren't related to this, Um, and, and, you know, things of that nature. So uh, hopefully these are just, I mean, it's unfortunate that as a professional athlete putting himself at risk with all this high demand activity, uh, and just these things are happening, you know, are some people injury prone? Maybe, but there's really no way to scientifically quantify that.
0: Dr. Mark Pollard, thank you so much for your insights throughout the course of the year. And we are wishing you a wonderful 2024 and looking forward to talking to you then. Thanks so much. You guys right, as well. Sir. All right. Thanks, doctor. Appreciate it. It's Dr. Mark Pollard and our Cooper Boone and joint segment. And Glenn, yeah, I mean, boy, Joel and B just cannot stay healthy. No. It's really remarkable.
4: Well, it, it. listen, he came into the league as a bit of a risk in terms of injuries and um I remember when he came into the league, I, I put an over-under on his games played at 600. He's probably past that by now,
0: right? His stats. I, I would have to take, take a quick look.
4: Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's always going to be a problem because he is that big. And I don't want to say he's fragile because he's as tough as it gets, but. That stuff always happens. You just have to hope that it happens now as opposed to in the playoffs, and we've seen it happen in the playoffs. Joel Embiid
0: f- has played yeah. 419 regular wow. season games, right. by
4: the way. all right. So uh, the over-under still got a long way to go. They do. Go ahead, Dan. You- no, I was going to say. I don't oh, I thought that was Dan weighing in. No, I that apologize. was me. Do you? Do you, at this point, and I understand it's still not even 2024, so the playoffs are still months away, have any bit of a different feeling about the Sixers headed into the playoffs this year?
0: Not yet. Okay. No, not yet. And look, I get that they're a fun team to watch. It has been uh, terrific to watch the development of Tyrese Maxey in particular. Uh, he is just 23, which suggests he's only scratching the surface of the player he can be. And he had 42 last night for them in that win in Houston. Yeah. Uh and I think Daryl Morey did a very good job of getting what he could for James Harden uh, and turning this team into one that can contend. But until they get past the second round of the playoffs, I think this is all just fun stuff to talk about and doesn't have much meaning for a lot of people. I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, which, which leads us actually perfectly. And, and hold on, our callers, because we do want to get to you. But we do want to get to uh, – the, the latest and next in our awards, our year-end awards that we're giving out. So Glenn came up with this uh, this category. Uh, he, he added it to the list that, that he and I kind of collaborated it on. It was the Goodbye and Good Riddance Award. And I yeah. just mentioned my my awardee, Glenn, who was James Harden. Uh, oh, know,
4: tough to beat. Yeah,
0: the, the slam dunk of the year, I think. Uh, I don't know anybody who wasn't exhausted <laughs> and fed up with Harden by the time uh, Game 7 started against the Celtics, let alone his performance in that game. I think people were still holding out hope that he might rise to the occasion, but of course he didn't, and he started to make life miserable, I think for himself, but of course for the Sixers until Daryl Morey finally was able to trade him. Just a total mercenary. Uh, He is really, I think, damaging, and I don't like using this phrase very often, Uh, because it means different things to different people, and it can be kind of a made-up thing. But I do think he's damaging his legacy as a really a great player, a guy who during his time with the Rockets, if you look at his numbers, if you look at the player that he was, the way in some ways he kind of changed the sport of basketball and led to the accent on the three-point shot, and now all anybody is going to think of him uh, when when they mention the name James Harden is, oh, talked his way out of Houston. Up, oh, yeah. talked his way out of Brooklyn. Up, oh, talked his way out of Philadelphia. And just a total malcontent and mercenary.
4: Yeah, actually, I think that is how he will be remembered down the road. I, I Because it's the back end of his career. Well, that's a tough one to beat. So um, I'll stay in the same neighborhood and just go to a different uh, guy down the bench a couple uh, seats. And I'll say Doc Rivers, who um, I think again, is a Hall of – I mean, he is a Hall of Famer. Doc River is a Hall of Famer as a player and as a coach, which is pretty damn tough to beat. But I felt he was a bad match here from the start. He was never able to get him past the second round. Obviously, that blame falls to many, many people. But he's on the list. I don't think he ever warmed up to us. And uh, goodbye, good riddance. And I, you know, I, I have slightly more confidence this year because I think Nick Nurse maybe will be a little bit different. Yes, it's the NBA, so it's on the players more than even in other sports. But Doc Rivers, goodbye and good riddance.
0: Yeah, Nick Nurse is a better coach and I think a better coach for this team. Uh, Nick from Collegeville, before we hit the break, you have an interesting comparison related to rooting for the Cowboys. Go ahead, Nick.
6: Yeah, well, first of all, I thought uh, Maddie Moorhead played Igor I on Thursday. It was fabulous also. Yes, wow.
0: it was. There you go. Yeah, Nick yeah. clearly was at the production on Thursday night. Oh, yeah, I was calling out. out cast members.
4: Those people yeah. will be so appreciative. Yeah. and I understand. Uh, that's Disney all amateur tickets. theater. Nobody
0: gets paid. Right.
4: So yep. I, calling I, them out I, on I the radio the like this is very nice.
6: Yep. I bought the tickets on my own, surprised my wife, and she was thrilled. We ate that up the street at the uh, – brawl tavern whatever it's called that's where i ate uh, too nick it yeah I, I thought i saw you there pre-show and i was like is that him and then when i saw you in the theater i'm like yeah that's that was I, him I'm,
0: I'm very glad you didn't uh come over and say hello because i was with my wife and four other friends and it would have been totally like i would have been embarrassed in a good way uh, and i'm glad you didn't i would have gotten so much ribbing <laughs> for that that I, I appreciate you not approaching thanks
6: anyway here's what oh and i saw you pull, i thought you pull, i thought you hurt your back glad. Like, I saw you, like, bend over, and I was like, yeah. oh, damn, he hurt his back, and no, I saw you it, kind of it, well, walking slowly back.
4: That it would be a hand. good assumption, since it's already yeah. a mess, but it was, I i literally pulled my hamstring bowing, which oh my is gosh. Anyway, as, yep. as Here, stupid as it gets.
6: Here's my, But thanks my for coming. I'm on. glad you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. I was fabulous. Uh, so, here's, for every person that calls up and says, I hate Dallas, I don't want anything from Dallas, or Dallas people, or fans, especially in the Tri-State area, if you're dying of thirst, will you refuse water from from a dallas fan i mean it's a right to accept water from a a dallas fan when you're dying of thirst you don't have to appreciate it like you got you don't have to you know give him a pat on the back and say you know you want to come over for dinner but there's nothing wrong with survival you know and being comfortable like i mean it's absurd and i'm old i felt this way when i was 19 and i feel this way when i'm 55 i just feel like i hate the cowboys too i don't hate them like that anymore like i don't hate them like that like i need what i need from my eagles because are terrible right now
0: offensively. All right. Nick, so, th- thanks bye. very much for the call, man. And really really appreciate everything. That was That's, great. That was yeah, great. That was he great. had he did mention, I think, to you, Dan, that he thought rooting for Dallas was worse than you wanting ice cream. At yeah, I, I picked
2: up the phone. He goes, Dan, rooting for Dallas is worse than you getting chocolate ice cream at Ralph's. <laughs> and that was his comparison. And so I wrote that up on the board, but he didn't cling to it on the air.
0: That's okay. He had He had an even better one with the – dying of thirst in the desert, and all that. Okay, coming up in a couple of minutes at noon, we're going to talk to Adam Kaplan, Eagles insider. Uh, We're going to continue to take your calls at 215-592-9494. Glenn and I have a few more year-end awards to give out, uh, and we hope you continue listening on 94 WIP.
4: Hey, I had a chance recently to catch up with uh, great people from Meridian Bank, shared a beer with them, Uh, and one of their business banking partners was with us and just great conversation i've just been blown away over the years at how the people the business owners who work with meridian are just speak so highly of it so so highly of their relationship how creative meridian can be and i know the team of people at meridian i've worked with them It is no surprise they are the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas. They understand innovative thinking. They're going to help you along the way. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com.
0: I love when we come out of a break with this song, Dan. Anytime you can use Loser by Beck, it takes me back to my freshman year uh, of college at LaSalle. That song was so big uh, and has one of the greatest opening lines of any song in history. Do you know it, Dan?
2: I do not. We only have the instrumental here.
0: Uh, Glenn, do you know it? I just know I'm a loser baby. No, no, no. So why in don't a, you kill me? In a time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey. That's no. that's just, it grabs you right away. I'm telling you, it okay. grabs you right away. Oh, there you go. So anyway, Adam Kaplan has been covering the NFL for years and years he is now officially the NFL insider for Pro Football Network. He is the co-host of the excellent Inside the Birds podcast. He is also a proud and loyal alumnus, I believe, of Cheltenham High School. Do I have that correct, Adam?
10: Yes,
12: boys. Good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, g- glad to be back with you here on WIP as always. And, yeah, Mike, it's uh, Cheltenham. We were the Hunters graduating class of 1984. Myself, remember Ike Richmond. You know, absolutely no a yeah. good friend Ike. of Ike. Yeah, we have, Ike? yeah. We have no Ike forever, and uh, we have our fortieth coming up. Can you believe it? Oh, oh my, my
0: God! Goodness. I know. I
12: just, I just give away my age. Sorry.
0: That's okay. I just had my thirtieth back in October, wow. and nice. uh, I'm a where'd you have it?
12: At? Where'd you have it? I'm curious. Uh,
0: we had it. Uh, I went to Upper Dublin High School, and okay. we ha- actually had it at Human Robot Brewing in Jenkintown, and it was terrific. We had a oh. nice hundred people turn out, and nice. uh, it was really, really well done. Great spot. So, Adam. Sure let's let's go big picture first yep where are you at with the Eagles at 11 and four and I mean that in terms of what's been coming out of the locker room kind of what's your tea leaf reading of the sense that the players as much as the fans don't seem particularly satisfied with being 11 and four uh, just from a big picture standpoint what are your thoughts on the eagles and then we can kind of go
12: from there yeah, Mike, it's really interesting. I, I've covered this business for 25 years, and I, I don't remember a time where reporters are saying players seem very unhappy because of the way that they're playing when they're 11-4. to 4. It's, it's really interesting. I, it's not something that you would hear every day. In fact, I was trying to think about about when I, I travel, you know, I go to training camps, I go to about half the league. I've never heard of coaches talk about their players being so unhappy. I've not heard players say it in the locker room, but this is – look, It's it's a story, but – It's a sidebar. It's just something that's very unique. You haven't heard this before, but I I would take it this way. We, Jeff Mosher and I on our show, we, we said this to start the season. I don't, don't, we got a lot of crap for it, but I think we were probably right. We told everyone, listen, folks, they will not be anywhere as good as last season. It's not going to happen. The roster's, the roster's changed. They're down seven starters. Now we didn't know Avanti Maddox would get hurt. So that's really eight. You lost several coaches, two new coordinators. So you, you you've, change the way that that Hurts is being coached in terms of the quarterbacks coaching the O.C., they're not going to be as good. Now, what we also said is it didn't mean they couldn't back, get back to the Super Bowl. Why? The rest of the league is not as good. It, 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 and by the way, that's happened. Mm-hmm. The Niners, who I thought two weeks ago, three weeks ago, were the best team in football, they got absolutely embarrassed at home by Baltimore. Baltimore's a nice team. Yeah. There are no elite teams like last year. The Eagles were elite, and so were the Chiefs.
4: So, if we're looking then... <clears throat> because one of the things that I always enjoy talking to you is because you really do, your guy really, even while you do the inside the birds podcast, you take a national look for uh, pro football network and so oh. on. Should we be afraid of the Rams right now? Should we, well, it's, it's, it's actually two questions. So I'll ask that one first. Are they the team on the rise right now?
6: Yeah,
12: the Rams and the bills. If you look at both conferences, the Rams, I, I'll be one of those people who thought it didn't look good for Matthew Stafford. Uh, he, he, they were really struggling. When they lost three in, a row, three in a row from Week 7 through 9, I thought they were dead. Now, they had two two wins against the Seahawks and the Cardinals, who the Eagles will play tomorrow. But they absolutely crushed the Browns. And, and Flacco did play in that game, and what a story he's been. Uh, but then, look, they they crushed the Saints. Uh, they, they lost a tough game. They They, they pushed Baltimore to the limit. Yesterday. three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They're a good team. They've turned their season around. And and, and the thing is, though, I, I would tell you, though, and Raheem Morris does a great job as a defensive coordinator. The Cardinals are going for the same thing. The Rams have a completely remade secondary, and it's showing they're giving up a lot of points, but they're scoring like crazy. Yeah, they're, to answer your question, Glenn, as we move forward here, they absolutely are a dangerous team. They, they, they could win anywhere. They've, they've won on the road. They've pushed teams on the road. Uh, they've turned their season around, and you know, the, the actually the, the worst thing for them to have would happen is if somehow I'd have to look at the playoff scenarios. If they clinch tomorrow because they play their Niners in Santa Clara in Week 18, so you want that game to mean something, obviously for the Rams. Yeah, all
4: right. So I'm sorry. Second part of that is because I want to throw in another team. Sure. What do the Cowboys need? To, well, I don't know. If that's an answerable <laughs> question. <laughs> but what do the Cowboys need to do to get past their history for the past 25 years? I mean, obviously the answer is they need to win. But I guess my question is, I just kind of discount the Cowboys because of that history. Am I wrong in doing so?
12: <laughs> uh, uh, Jason Avant, who works for us, great, former Eagle. I, I love what he, he says, Cowboys are always going to Cowboy. Now, now I'm going to explain what the league thinks of the Cowboys with that comment. I, I, on my training camp tour, because when I talk to GMs, they'll ask me where I've gone. I said oh, I, was in, uh, I was in Oxnard with the Cowboys because, you know, if they could ever play up to that, their roster, I was, I was like, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, they always underachieve. And I said, well, why do you think that way? He goes, because they don't have the greatest character players. They, if you look at the off-the-field history of a lot of their players, it's typically not good. Jerry Jones and his son, Stephen Jones, they're willing to take a lot of risks on players who are high upside but who sometimes don't make it. And something seems to implode with them. And look, they're terrible on the road. I mean, they're, they're really not. Uh, they're not a good road team. They, they they got embarrassed. They got handled week three at the Cardinals. You look at their last two games, Dolphins game, they should have won the Dolphins' injury issues, and they got blown out um, after an emotional win over the Eagles. They got blown out at, at Buffalo. So they don't handle successful. That's how, I, that's how I would summarize the information that I have on them, to answer your question, Glenn. a team and I was never going to trust. If, if you're people who bet the futures bets, and where you take a team and you – you pick a sleeper. You, you put money on teams that could get to the the Super Bowl. I don't see it. I just don't see it with them.
4: All right. So before Mike asks the next question, let's just all savor that for a moment. Hold <laughs> is That's
12: that great, man. I know. You. I, I'm not supposed to. You know, I'm I'm not supposed to be a fan at all. But yeah. growing up here, believe me, I don't I, I don't I don't worry about. Uh, The Cowboys struggling or or, or, or underachieving. That's not a bad thing. Well, here's
0: the the thing, Adam. Glenn is trying to wring every last drop of Cowboys hate he can before (laughs) the new year comes around. So he is is working it today. We're talking to Adam Kaplan, insider for Pro Football Network and co-host of the Inside the Birds podcast. Adam, what is the impression around the league of Jalen Hurts and his play this season? I thought he was better – against the Giants than he had been the couple of weeks previously. And certainly that game against the Seahawks, there were some mitigating factors there. He was sick. Uh, But what is the impression of Hertz? It's such a microscope here, and there are times where he's going to be less than perfect and people are going to overreact. There are going to be times where he probably doesn't play as well as he should, and people are going to defend him to the hilt. What does the rest of the league think of him?
8: That last
12: year, and obviously he was – tremendous to me had he not gotten hurt i vote in two polls i probably would have voted for him for mvp but mostly did not think much of hurts to be honest with you mike when he was drafted and remember i know people don't want to believe this but we told people on inside the birds 100 percent hurts was drafted to be once his backup nothing more and we know how it worked out because strange things happen but he was a guy that a lot of teams gave a fourth round grade on he certainly is overachieved he had a breakout season uh he no one thought he could do what he did last season. Really great story. I don't want to say he's regressed to the mean. I think that's not fair. But he's not playing like a top-ten quarterback. He hasn't. And that's the way to answer your question, Mike. Most people still don't think he is. I do because you got to look at the intangibles, the toughness, the smarts, the one-two. I, I, I ran, I'll i give you a story. I ran into a, a, one of their former coaches at a golf outing in the spring. I, I didn't really know the guy very well, but we were just talking. I said, what were your thoughts of Hurts? He goes, I've got to tell you something. Do you realize that he's in he's in our building before most of the coaches are? Just, you know do you know how much this kid, how, he, how much he wants it and how much it means to him to be great and, and just his competitiveness? I was like, wow, that's interesting. Okay. He said, we all love Hurts. And I don't know if they felt that way 2021, 20, but they got to know him. And, Mike, to move this forward, I still think there's some naysayers. Um, there are a lot of teams that were shocked at how well he played last season. So I, I, I think we still have to understand that it is year three in the system, year three in the start as a starter. Yes, you're right. He's been inconsistent, but it's not like he's been Carson Wentz regression bad. That's not even close to that. And and quite frankly, I be, I believe a lot in Nick Sirianni as a head coach, but he's just going to have to look at the at, at their their offensive scheme, and, and and broaden it up a little bit. But also Hertz. Look, Hertz has a part of this mm-hmm. mechanics. I'm told uh, from tape study from multiple people I've, I've asked. Do I really trust? Mechanics have gotten away from him a little bit. Uh, they need to continue to help him, and they are. They're trying to get the bottom of his hands a little faster, and that's smart. But, uh, look, the bottom line is, Mike, he's not as good as he was last year. We all know that. But this is not I – I don't call this a big regression. Has he regressed a little bit, yes. I'm not really worried about him. I'd be way more worried about the defense. Yeah,
0: you know, it's, it's interesting, Adam, just to follow up on that quickly. That's always been my position on Hertz is that there's going to be a little less appreciation for him now than there would have been if he were a quarterback in, say, 1982, you know, which goes to your point about the intangibles, right? He's a terrific leader. He's in the building before everybody else. And so much of our analysis and coverage of the NFL now is about how the position is played from a technical standpoint and statistically how does the quarterback produce that sometimes the stuff that makes Jalen really, really good is overlooked.
12: You know, that helps him become better than most people thought, Mike, because he's always known, I can't speak for him, I don't know him, but talking to people who graded him for the draft, he, people knew that he wasn't really gifted as a passer, but with hard work and discipline and, and the one-two, he is this one-two to be great. That that I could tell you from behind the scenes that I've definitely learned from people, close to the situation. And, me, I, I, and, and I know people didn't think I was right. I, I turned out to be right about this. I said being a coach's son matters. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to be right about that stuff, because look, if the kid's entitled, he's not, by the way. But if a player's entitled because his dad was a coach, and he just thinks it could come to him, then it's not going to work. But this kid, he's got a chip on his shoulder. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now the other question is, Mike, as we move forward here, can they get him anywhere close to where he was last year? We're not there yet. We've seen flashes, but tomorrow's game against the Cardinals will give him that opportunity, because they have the worst defense in football statistically, and this isn't a great stat that... Someone in advance scouting kind of gave to me from a four, four, uh, another team So do you realize that the Cardinals have only three starters left on defense at open week one? That's embarrassing. I mean, that's, that's bad.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, along the lines of asking what the league thinks of Jalen Hurts, um, Adam Kaplan, what does the league think of Nick Sirianni, both <laughs> as a coach and as a character?
12: All right. Um, I'm just going to ask the a question. Uh, they think he's very cocky. Well, um, yeah. One GM said he thinks he comes off so that he's full of himself. I don't agree with that, and I don't know Nick. I've met him before, but I don't know the guy. Um, you, see, the thing is, there's a ton of competitive jealousy amongst general managers, amongst owners, amongst coaches, because they, they see the way he acts. You know, some of that video that's been out about him. Yep. We know what happened uh, last week with the, the Kansas City tape. I, I, I It's funny because that conversation has come up uh, Glenn, with me, with other people in the league, these That's things what really I'm come Assuming
4: up. you're, you know, you're from Philadelphia. Yeah, and I'm kind of laughing
12: because I'm gonna, I, I will, I'm gonna give you a very quick story. but give you 20 seconds. So uh, Sirianni, there's a fr- uh, friend of, uh, I don't know Nick, but there's a, we we both have a mutual friend who's a coach. And this guy told me. I said, Hey, what do I need to know about this guy? He goes, He's super big on connecting. I'm like, What does that mean? He goes, You'll know it when you hear about it. He goes. It means a lot to him because he's a former player, for, so he knows his players that there's a buy-in, and that that's the stuff that matters. I, I know people are getting on him for acting the way he did, and that that video that's out there from last week, but it does matter that he connects us with his players, and I do believe. And I heard I heard the interview this week uh, with Rob Ellis when Nick was on, and I, I like what he had to say. I know sometimes we overblow and make too much about these kind of things, but in this market, because things get blown up, sometimes you got to own it. And I thought he did a good job on WIP this week.
0: Adam, last one for me: What is the most realistic playoff scenario for the Eagles here? Do you see a number two seed? Do you see them falling down to the number three, and the Lions taking over the number two? What do you think is the most realistic, and what do you think is the most advantageous scenario for them heading into the playoffs?
12: Well, Mike, number two seed—that's that's where I see it. I, I still think the Niners will get it. It would be really awesome, though, if somehow – because, you know, the NFL does not – they haven't – we know who teams are playing. We don't know what times they're playing. It would be great if this comes down to next week. But in the end, I believe the Eagles will have the two seed. I'm very anxious to see how Detroit handles success. I have a good friend who works in their, their – he's been there for a while in their front office, and he said, listen, man, we've been waiting 30 years for this. I was like, I get it, but you guys had an excessive celebration last week. Can they put that behind them on a short week? So, uh, Eagles number two, how far can they go? The Niners game worried me here, I, and, and the problem, guys, in, in the end, I don't think their defense will be good enough. They just don't have the personnel. That, that's the reason why we didn't think they'd be as good, but I didn't know the Niners were this good. I, look, they had a quagmire game against Baltimore. I, I don't, I'm shocked at that. Yeah. I expect them to bounce back, but in the end, guys, the Eagles are the number two
4: team. Uh, I got one more. Because I'm fascinated that the Cleveland Browns and the (laughs) Detroit Lions are getting hot at this time of year. These are two teams that have been around forever that have never been in a Super Bowl. I love it. Been there, not even lost, just never been there. I I was going to ask you which one has a better chance, but Cleveland. do I'm going they to Cleveland.
12: B- Can you believe it? I'm going to Cleveland. Well, that's
4: my question is, yeah. who has a realistic chance of, between those two or of well, those two going to the Super Bowl?
12: I saw it in 2012 with Flacco when he had one of the best runs in, in Super Bowl history. Yeah. Uh, I've known Joe and his family since 07, So I started covering his run to the to the first round, which shocked me, when uh, Baltimore traded up to get him. That mm-hmm. was incredible. Sold him at to senior bowl. I can't believe what he's doing. And the, the comical thing about this is the Browns sort of had to be convinced to sign him. They weren't yeah. on him Im- immediately. Nobody wanted him. It's, it's crazy, and he's like this, and I love how he doesn't care about, hey, throws a bad pick, pick six, puts it right behind him, nothing phases him. Uh, but Detroit is an awesome story. I was at their training camp for two days with, with the Jaguars, by the way, and it was it was interesting, and they have a really good team. They're really well coached, but their secondary will keep them out of the Super Bowl. They'll ne- they're not getting the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with that secondary.
0: Wow. Adam that Kaplan, wow. thank you so much. Uh, for joining us. We appreciate the insight, as always. Uh, and you can, as I said, follow him at the Pro Football Network on the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, really appreciate the insight, Adam.
4: Thanks. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Don. All
0: right. Uh, Glenn, we have a uh, a special guest here. Uh, not planned, but we want to get him on the air. Uh, and he wants to talk about Tyrese Maxey. Uh, caller, could you identify yourself, please? Hey man, hey! I just wanted to, I just want to say, I just want to
1: say, hey, you know, because Maxi is doing really good right now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I remember last year, everybody like, man, I don't know what we do with J- James Harden, and you know, it's cool. It was all, but I was like, give him a chance. And man, I'm just happy that it's happening for him. So, I just, so just, for like, everybody Maxie who hasn't,
0: for everybody who hasn't figured it out already, this is Brandon Graham on the line, <laughs> uh, wanting to weigh in on the Sixers. BG. Your thoughts, mm-hmm. your thoughts on Tyrese's rise here, real quick, because you clearly are a fan. Oh yeah, man, I can see
1: the hunger. You know what I'm saying? And all it was was just like people believing and giving them a real shot. Like you know, it's something different about going into the off season, coming into the season, knowing that they're gonna give you a shot, and you know this your one time, you know, uh, to really let them know. And I'm just, I just was happy for him, man. I'm just happy for him. You know, happy for the team because you know they they all playing well together. And you know I know that it's all about the chemistry, and I just feel like with that opportunity, you know he's seizing it. So just wanted to give him an appreciation. Uh, love, love you know speech real quick. <laughs> it,
4: it, listen, Brandon, it's so nice that that you call. We appreciate. It. We know you're a listener. We love when you are on uh, 94 WIP. M- Mike and I are doing a thing today where we're kind of picking some categories, and one was most likely to be the next superstar. He's got Maxi. Because I I took Jalen Carter. I'm going to stick with okay. that. I think your teammate like on the defensive line is going to be a star. Uh, and one other one we had because I do kind of want your your input on this was most okay. most clutch athlete in town. Uh, Mike took Zach Wheeler of the Phillies, who was great. i took Jake Elliott, and I just you know I know you <sighs> could speak to Jake Elliott in the clutch over the years.
1: Oh yeah, man. I mean. <laughs>
4: It don't seem like he got a nerve in his body,
1: you know, the way he be just out Uh, You know, I, I love just seeing how Jake's career has, how it started, you know, with the 62-yarder against Giants yep. and then how it has progressed even after, you know, to let him see, like, how clutch he was. And it's like, man, how did he – he must have just had a bad start for people to just kind of let him go and then become – you know, coming to our arms like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it worked out
0: well. It did. It it worked out out really well. BG, we've been talking a little bit just about the fact that you guys are 11-4, and uh, you know, in a position still to be the number two seed in the conference, and yet there's this feeling, I think, outside the locker room, and it seems a little bit maybe inside the locker room, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not quite what it was last year. Can you kind of... Explain to everybody who's listening what you think is at work here. Well, you know
1: what? Every year, like I say, it's always different, man. As much as we got similar guys here from last year, and it's a lot uh, of, you know, familiar faces. It's like, you know, you got to you gotta bring the new guys in. And then, you know, we just had a, a coordinator change and all this little stuff. It's like, you know, how, how some years I'll be like, as a captain, they made it easy. But they're getting getting their money's worth from me this year, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Even though it's cool, though, because I embrace it, and we all have, because I I wouldn't have it no other way. And there was other stuff that we went through last year that, you know, we had to do. But, you know, just even this year, it's just like, with the the noise outside the the anticipation of the games that was coming up as far as Dallas and 49ers and we didn't do so well so it's like man you feel awful but man you got to remember we was going to lose some games but it just so happened to be those games that we lost because when we lost to the Jets it stung but we just was like it was going to happen regardless i mean well sooner or later yeah. but you know we just trying to keep the keep the morale, I mean, that's the biggest thing because it's that's how it is. I know we got a good team, and I really do believe we about to hit it, hit it, hit the ground running, for real, uh, you know, because of just the conversations we've had and, you know, the, the compromise that you got to have as a team uh, when things are, aren't are going so well. And, you know, with people, it's a two-way street. And so I think that uh, we lean in towards the, the positive side of it than, you know, the negative side, I would say.
4: Last one for me, and we'll uh, we'll let you go, and we appreciate you calling. Uh, how much are you looking forward to playing against your old defensive coordinator tomorrow, and what kind of response you think he's going to get from the fans?
1: Uh, I'm excited, man, for uh, for JG. Uh, he probably get some booze because, you know, they're going to be still probably mad at him for, for uh, us losing. And then, you know, the stuff that come out on. Well, he was talking to them before. Was he focused on the game? You know what I'm saying, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. but. I mean, you just never know. I I, I, I think it'll be a mixed mixed review. Uh, some booze, some yeah. But either way, you know, team, uh, I know the Eagles fans just want to see a win. That's all that matters. And that's all we're trying to do anyway.
0: Well, this was the most pleasant surprise since I've become uh, Glenn's co-host over the last year and a half, BG. Thank you so much for calling oh, in. Yeah. We appreciate the insight. Appreciate you listening.
1: No, I appreciate y'all, man. I just wanted to call him and mess around, uh, say what up about Maxie because them boys is balling.
0: They are, they are, and he had a heck of a game. BG, thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow after the game.
4: All right, thank, thank you so good. much. Be well.
0: All right, that was a lovely surprise there, Glenn.
4: He's like one of the all-time uh, great characters in this town. First of all, he's he's a great player. Will be in the Eagles' Ring of Honor eventually, but and a hero of the Super Bowl. But also, just like one of the most genuine uh fan-friendly media-friendly athletes we've had over forever.
0: Yeah, we've been spoiled over the last decade plus to have him and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and you know to a lesser degree Fletcher Cox um you know, they've been they've been great to deal with and what you know through good or through bad for this franchise, um they're always willing to weigh in and uh we appreciate Brandon calling in. So- well, I was just going to
2: say just to give listeners kind of just a little look behind the scenes, like you guys are interviewing Adam Kaplan, and mm-hmm. Brandon Graham pops up on the screen, which is not the first time this has happened, but I was like, did we book him as a guest, and I forgot to call? Like, who knows? Like, your producer brain starts, right. you know, circling, and, and I'm I like, screw up. did I screw up? And I pick up the phone, he's like, no, nah, like, I wasn't scheduled. I just saw that Sixers game last night, and Max, he's playing awesome. I want to get in with the guys. I'm like, like, you're a caller? <laughs> like, Bre- Brandon in Jersey or wherever just uh, wants to get great. in and talk Sixers?
0: Well, well if Jalen hurts what you know wants to weigh in just we did not arrange that just Jalen does not
2: strike me as a caller
0: no he does not he does not he's he's not a particularly enthusiastic answerer of questions most of the time but um you know we'll take him if he does decide to call in so Warren Eric and Bill hang on uh because BG called in we had to adjust a little bit but we will get to your calls after the break uh we still have what we forgot to talk about with Dan Wilson we're going to tie a bow in 2023 with our awards he is Glenn Macknow. Now, I am Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. 94 WIP, Mike Sealski and Glenn Macknow now taking until 1 o'clock, and then it'll be Go Birds Radio uh, with Jody McDonald and oh, nice. Ruben Frank. Nice. Uh, years and years of Eagles experience there between those two guys. So Absolutely. That should be, that should be good. Uh, let's get a couple callers here. We've got some people who have been waiting for a while. Warren from Gwynedd Valley wants to weigh in on the Eagles' locker room situation. Go ahead, Warren.
5: Hey, Mike. Can you hear me okay? You're good. Okay. uh, Real quick uh, with uh, Glenn, I just wanted to say both of you, thank you so much for everything you did this year. And um, uh, real quick on uh, Joel Embiid's injury. I think it was uh, misdiagnosed. I think he has um, mistletoe.
0: Oh, God.
5: (laughs) That's, and um, and for joke. Glenn, I think your injury was a, um, a bow, wow, bow, wow, uh. ow. <laughs> All right, now we're getting carried away.
0: The, Mel Brooks, you are not, Warren. I'm well, wait saying. a minute. All
5: right. All right. Here's my last one on the Eagles. But it's not so funny. I wanted to piggyback on what Jeff McClain was saying about Nick Sirianni being his job being safe. And then he, he, he said, maybe not. And uh, I'm leaning on maybe not because I think – Um, The problem starts and ends with Nick Sirianni. Um, I think Shane Steichen um, uh, was kind of like the glue that kept the offense together last year. And when Nick says it's his offense, and um, without and Gannon holding the the defense together and there being instability there, I, I think that Nick's job is not safe for next year. And I think he does not put a very good face on our team as far as professionalism goes. And um, I, right. I think if if any other uh, veteran coach was here, like Dick Vermeil, he wouldn't stand for this this locker room um, discontent, and he would have this whole thing worked out uh, where this is not. And I well, believe I, we, we got right, to run, here, but here thanks, one. I, I
4: thanks, but Warren. But the, sorry. It, it kind of, yeah. He had Didn't a lot he, to say. He Listen, did. He's a good caller. He had a lot to say. Yeah. But that does take us to one of our categories. It which does. Was,
0: it does. Go ahead. See it up. Yeah. No, we had come up with these categories. One of them was. The coach to keep an eye on in 2024, and your coach to keep an eye on was...
4: Nick. Yeah. And I, I mean, I am I in no way want to imply at this point that his job is in jeopardy, but I also want to say we've kind of been down this road before with both Doug Peterson and uh, Chip. Yes. Chip was, Chip was a unique circumstance, I suppose, but... You think a guy's going to be here for years, and it doesn't always happen with the Eagles. And upper management can be impatient or stubborn and want what it wants. So, to me, that's the one to keep an eye
0: on. Yeah, two things with respect to Nick and his tenure here. Number one, I think he does need to tone down his demonstrativeness publicly, whether on the sideline or in these press conferences. Uh, I just think it would make life easier for him if if he toned it down a little bit. Uh, both around the league and, I think, within the market to a certain degree. And the other thing is, I think that the other thing to keep an eye on with respect to Nick is his relationship with Jalen and Hertz's development. I think that was the last straw that kind of broke the camel's back for Doug here. It wasn't just that Doug you know, wanted to keep certain assistant coaches and wanted to exercise more power in the wake of him winning the Super Bowl. It was also that Carson Wentz was regressing. And if Carson Wentz wasn't going to be here anymore and wasn't taking steps forward with Doug Peterson as the head coach, it made it easier for the Eagles to say goodbye to Doug. So that's something that that I think Sirianni has to be cognizant of. My coach to watch, Glenn, is not among the four major sports, professional sports franchises in town. My coach to watch is Villanova's Kyle Neptune. If you remember last year, Villanova did not make the NCAA tournament for the first time in a long time. Uh, now they're off to a better start this season. They are nine and four. they are two and zero oh in the Big East. Three of their four losses have come to city six slash big five teams. yeah, uh, so that's probably you know warmed up things under the seat of Kyle's pants a little uh, bit as far yeah, as the alumni right. and donors go. Um, and I think Villanova's gonna be pretty good, but you know it's gonna be hard anytime you're replacing a legend, and he is replacing a legend in Jay Wright. I don't think his job is in jeopardy, but I do think you're going to hear some things from Nova fans about Kyle Neptune.
7: So that's no my take.
0: All right. No disagreement. Yeah. Uh Eric from Maryland wants to uh talk about the Eagles playoff hopes. Go ahead, Eric.
13: Hey, good 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 afternoon, fellas. Uh, happy new year to you. You too, you too, Eric. When it when it comes up. Um yeah, uh you guys have been talking a lot all, all day about, you know, um this the, the seeding possibilities and for me it doesn't really matter how the Eagles go into the to the playoffs because I just don't see them being able to match up well with the Rams or the Lions as far as the secondary is concerned. You know, the, the thing that bothers me or one thing that I notice a lot, um, when teams are playing the Eagles, Jalen Hurts gets a lot of his balls batted, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the adage has always been, if you're not going to get home, get your hands up. And I don't notice the Eagles ever doing that to any other quarterbacks. As much as they don't get home, they don't put their hands up either.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly seems it happens a lot to Jalen, Eric. You're right about that. And, and there does seem to be a lack of synchronicity uh, between the defensive line and the secondary, that if you're going to come after the opposing quarterback, <laughs> then your cornerbacks ought to be playing press coverage at the same time uh, to make it harder for the opposing quarterback to make a decision about where to go with the ball and sometimes it seems the Eagles bring the house, you know, on those rare occasions that yeah. they do, and the quarterback is still able to get the ball out. We saw that with Sam Howell, for instance, from Washington
13: uh, right. earlier this right. season. So yeah. I, I think that um, one of the things, the biggest things as well, you guys mentioned it earlier. I think the Eagles defensive line really misses Hargrave because I think they saw or projected Carter coming in as a rookie, uh, Davis ascending into his sev- second year as being somewhat, you know, comparable to replace Hargrave. I'm not saying production because neither one of those guys I think are gonna be high sack guys, but they definitely miss that inside presence. And uh my last thing for you, Glenn, is my father tore his rotator cuff completely by swatting a fly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. We don't mean to laugh at your father, Eric, but my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So you know swing, my, my dad
13: is a little bit older than you, Glenn, but when I heard your story, I was like that reminds me of Dad. Like, last year, he, he tore his World cuff Cups completely trying to swat a fly. Yeah, thank I, you, guys.
0: Oh, thanks, thank Eric. Appreciate much. the yeah, call.
4: I, I said it earlier. I, I, I didn't tear, thank goodness. But I pulled my hamstring Thursday night, taking a bow at the end of the play. So... Hey, That's pretty embarrassing. You know,
0: one of these days when it's a really slow time of year, Glenn, we should do the wackiest injuries in sports history. Yeah, they're history. always good ones. Yeah. You know, uh, Mickey Tettleton, I remember, a catcher for the Athletics and Tigers, once landed on the disabled list by tying his shoes too tight. That was one that, that <laughs> land, always stayed in my memory for years Trevor years.
4: Hoffman's brother, Glenn Hoffman, was an infielder. You mm-hmm. Remember him? Yep. He went on the DL because he ate chili peppers and then put in contact lenses. <laughs>
0: And blinded himself. And blinded himself. Oh my gosh! Bill from Mercerville wants to talk about the Flyers, which we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Go ahead, Bill.
11: Listen, you're saving the best for last. <laughs> <All> the
0: <right>. Flyers. <laughs> How
11: much better does it get with this team? I mean, look, again, nice
9: and easy. It's enjoyable. They're fun to watch. You actually stay up late to watch them on the West Coast. Not like last year. It's exciting, and I love what Tortorella's
3: done. He's got the team playing well together. If they ever figure out the power play, who knows? Maybe there is a playoff chance.
0: Yeah, you know, I think you're right, Bill, and thanks very much for the call. we got to get to a break, uh, Glenn. But they have become a fun team to watch in the Philly way that teams can be fun to watch, right? They're exceeding expectations. Uh, bingo. They, they, they play it. hard every night. They do. And if they make the playoffs, people will be relatively happy.
7: Well
4: coached. Um... Young. Well, not entirely young, but youngish, mm-hmm. Uh And yes, they are. It's it's refreshing. Because expectations are low, they can go out to the West Coast, lose a shootout, and it's like, hey, you know, they got to do a shootout. That's right. Which, by the way, one of your awards, and let's just do this best good vibes move of 2023. I, I think we're both on the same page on that one. Yeah,
0: I think we are. Um, before we unveil the winner, I know Dan had a clip that he wanted to play real quick to kind of give it away.
10: Oh.
7: That. That. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks,
4: Dan, for pulling that one Yeah, like, oh, I don't that think... Is. That's that's
2: Jonesy's moment of the year.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think that moment was our good vibes of the year. No. Because we had to evacuate the studio for fear that it was going to burn down. There but, was actually, right,
4: there was like a little fire in the building on the, the kitchen and the second floor. Yeah, there was yeah. an actual
0: fire. It wasn't a, a prank. It wasn't a drill. It yeah. was an actual fire. And we stood outside for about 40 minutes. Lost uh, our momentum on that. Interview. We did. We did. We had to gear it back up again. But, yes... Uh, I think our, our, the clear-cut winner for our Good Vibes Award uh, for 2023 will, goes to the Flyers for stepping away from and moving on from Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott and bringing in Dan Hilferty and Danny Briere and Keith Jones as the leadership of the franchise. Again, doesn't guarantee anything. They have to make smart decisions from a hockey standpoint. But just the energy and the good feeling that they've brought back to the franchise after a long time, to me, Glenn, makes this a clear-cut choice. No doubt. Yeah. So, anyway, we got a little bit of time left. We're going to hit a break here. We're going to come back with uh, what we forgot to talk about with Dan Wilson. We can get another call or two in, uh, if you can be quick about it, at 215-592-9494. With Glenn Macnow, I am Mike Sielski on 94WIP. Mike Sealski and Glenn Mack now closing it out here on 94 WIP. Go Birds Radio coming up in a couple of minutes with Jody McDonald and Ruben Frank. Uh, Glenn, some some bad news, some sad news from the world of entertainment. Tom Wilkinson, the actor, uh, maybe best known for Michael Clayton and the John Adams miniseries on HBO and Batman Begins has passed away. He's died today at age 75.
7: So.
4: Young, good classic actor.
0: Yeah, terrific actor. Um, we're going to go right to what we forgot to talk about, so Dan Wilson, please take us there. Yes,
2: yeah, so we'll start with maybe the news in the NFL this week, probably the NFL news in the NFL this week. Uh, the, the imminent divorce of the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson seems to be coming. <laughs> he will not be playing the final two games. Seemed like they attempted to restructure earlier in the season. They played it out uh, following their Christmas Eve loss to the Patriots. They're mailing it in this season and does not appear like he'll be back next year.
0: If we had done a category, Glenn, of biggest bullets dodged by the Eagles, trading for Russell Wilson might have been at the top of the list.
2: Yeah, absolutely right at the
4: top of the list. It's a weird dynamic there because he came out this week and said they threatened him that if he didn't change his contract, they would bench him. Listen, I think Sean Payton is a bully. I I agree. I I also think Russell Wilson's a bit of an oddball, so I'm not really (laughs) sure the details of how that played out. But, yes, I, I agree with you, Mike. Glad he's not here. Yeah, it would have been messy. Uh,
2: Number two, today's like the heyday of birthdays, both in the sports and the entertainment world. My all-time
4: favorite player as a kid.
2: I'm not sure where you're going with that.
4: Come on. Jewish fella.
0: Whose birthday?
2: Oh, Sandy Koufax. Hello.
4: Yes. Well, Sandy
2: Koufax. I didn't even have so forgot about Koufax. Hello.
4: That was the first baseball player I ever loved as as an 8-year-old.
2: Sandy Koufax, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Uh, I really thought Carson Wentz was going to be great because today's his birthday, too. Uh, That was kind of a bummer.
4: Um, That's like the Sesame Street, which one of these doesn't belong. Yes. Exactly. uh, Tiger Tiger Woods, Sandy Koufax, LeBron James, Carson Carson
0: Wentz. Wentz. Insert sad trombone sound effect here. Oh, man. What else we got, Dan? Uh, And
2: then the last thing, uh, I don't know if you saw, it's just kind of a fun one. So it is obviously college football bowl season. We're going to have like the real games, the big boys play on New Year's Day uh, and the semifinal games, the college football semifinal games. But this week we had the Pop-Tart Bowl and social media just ate it up. Did you guys see the trophy presentation?
4: I, when the Pop-Tart went down in the toaster? Yes. It was beautiful. That was and the trophy. It, a was it was great.
0: It was a real Pop-Tart. It that was, was great. And and what they did in dressing the Pop-Tart as the Frosted Strawberry Pop-Tart, that's the way to go. That is a top two Pop-Tart. Oh, frosted no. Strawberry. Absolutely. I think oh, there's... a so...
4: good debate for a future date.
0: Oh, s'mores is, the, is the, my number one. S'mores Pop Tart is top of the uh, list, and then Frosted Strawberries number all two. All right,
4: I go cinnamon, and then the the chocolate one is great. But this seems like a, a good show co- content for a week, a slow week. Well,
2: I was gonna, I think the way to do these obscure bowl games, this the Cheese It Bowl, whatever, is to just lean into it and have an obscure trophy presentation yeah. like that. Yeah, like that's how you like, market it.
0: Yeah, it yeah. absolutely is because these teams, I mean, the players are, but the teams aren't really taking them that seriously either. No. I mean. You know, so many uh, terrific players are not playing in the bowl games because they don't want to ruin their draft status. They want to get injured. One
2: coach took off to focus on recruiting. I mean, it's a joke, but it's funny. Uh, Two quick
4: things I want to get in here. One, Eric Allen is a finalist, finally, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, The former Eagle cornerback really deserves it, and I hope this is a year that we get another Eagle in. And then the second thing is, guess
0: who's hosting a show tomorrow night on 94WIP? I'm gonna guess and say that it is Dan Wilson and Ben Kenny together.
2: Yes, uh, WIP's ninety-four WIP's New Year's Rockin' Eve hosted with Dan and Ben <laughs> uh, tomorrow night. We'll be we come on after Sunday Night Football and we take you until four a.m. So we'll be reacting to the Eagles, Cardinals, and having a lot of fun. I guess as we both sit in the hosting chair for All the right. first time,
0: uh, are either Ryan Seacrest or or Fergie going to be part of? presentation so we
2: reached out uh we haven't heard back We're still remaining optimistic that uh they're going to count down new year's with us
4: kathy griffin maybe anderson it's cooper a shame that dick clark is no longer with no
2: us. yeah that is a shame but uh yeah no it, it's going to be a lot of fun and you know good for you and so it'll be yeah a really fun new year's Listen, eve for us you,
4: you and ben uh we have the pleasure of working with you both and you guys work really hard help our shows tremendously so i i hope this opportunity is uh is a great one for you, and I advise people to listen and maybe even call.
2: Yeah. I greatly appreciate that.
0: Yeah, what, what Glenn said. You guys are great, and uh, I can't say I'll be listening because we'll be getting together with friends, but wish you all the best with it. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, all right, be well. Yeah, be well, and be well, and Happy New Year to all our listeners. Thank you to Jeff McClain, to Adam Kaplan, and most surprisingly, Brandon Graham for joining us today. Thanks for everybody who, to everyone who called in. Again, Go Birds Radio coming up at 1 o'clock. With Jody McDonald and Ruben Frank. For Glenn Now I'm Mike Sealski. Thanks so much for listening to WIP.
8: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line
2: per month with eligible trade in when you switch.